welcome in to the Flag Hunting Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Ian. And we also have two guests with us this week. We're joined by at Speedway Steve 2 on Twitter. We got Phil and Steve with us. Boys, how's it going? Man, I am happy to be here, Chris and Ian. This is awesome. It's like a dream come true. You know, I listen to you guys' show. It's fantastic. And uh, just really happy to happy to be on this week. Yeah, we appreciate appreciate you guys joining us. And it's always good to hear when people are listening to the show. Like, I feel like obviously we can see that we have numbers coming in, but it's it's just like it's still always nice to hear. Like, oh yeah, we're an avid listener. <laughs> Don't be surprised, man. You put out a good product, people people will listen, and, and you guys put out one of the best. So happy to be here, man. Yeah, we appreciate it. Appreciate it. Happy to All be right. here as well. Um, ready to talk some NASCAR. I've been a um, lifelong fan, so uh, I enjoy doing these uh, types of podcasts. So uh, I'm ready to get going. Yeah, for sure. All right. So for those that have listened before when we have guests on, you know that I have this Mad Lib that I kind of run through here at the beginning. So this is kind of like our icebreaker for our guests to get us get us loosened up and get us kind of have some fun here. So uh, Phil and Steve, feel free to answer uh, separately or together, however you want to handle this. But first up, question, very easy. What's your favorite colors? Blue. I'm blue as well. Okay, blue times oh. two. Easy enough. All right, <laughs> favorite, favorite or lucky numbers? Ross Chastain, number one. Oh, okay. So Maybe. my Twitter handle is, number is 48. I've been a Jimmy Johnson fan my whole life, so 48 is my number. Okay, there we go. We got would you con- 48 lows. Yeah, there we go. Uh, would you guys consider yourself introverts or extroverts? Extrovert. Phil's the extrovert, I'm the introvert. Okay. And then, all right, next one we get a little fun. So what is the best Christmas gift you've ever received? Whew. Man, that is a tough one. I remember uh, when I was, I think I was like 13, I got a Columbia 300 Ricochet rebound bowling ball, and uh, that thing was sweet. Okay. Steve, you remember that that ball? Ricochet? No, I don't. I don't. Oh know. man, <laughs> <laughs> might be before my time. I'm old. Yeah, you might have to educate us <laughs> on the uh, on this bowling ball, the Columbia Ricochet 300. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I don't know. It was just like a, a a pretty aggressive bowling ball for for a young guy, and that uh that really opened up my love to the game. So yeah, turn some heads to the bowling alley. Was it? Oh was yeah. It was it the uh like what makes a bowling ball aggressive? Uh, they have the outside of them uh, can be made of different things like a reactive resin or a urethane, and then also the inside has uh like different shaped cores. So they can create different friction levels and more aggressive hooking. So okay. yeah, there's, there's so a lot of customizable or is that like one of those things where you can, you have the ball and you can adjust it or is it like, no, it's, it's, it's made, like, it's, uh, yeah, once it's made, it's made. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of a bowling noob. I'm hearing, right, some, yeah, I guess, I'm, uh, hearing some, I'm hearing some PBA bets in the future from Phil. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, and Steve, and Steve, Steve's Steve's bowled on TV before in a, a national championship match. Little known no fact. Way. Okay. Oh yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. I did. It was uh, I've always that was kind of like my dream. Um, I only did it one time. I made I made I made one TV show, so I kind of fulfilled my uh, childhood dream there a little bit. So that was. Very exciting day. It's it, believe it or not, those TV lights are very hot. 
So <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> you did strike a lot on TV, man. So really proud yeah, of you. Yeah, I, I, I was happy with that. So I, I guess the uh, I'm also very um, I, I mean I'm a gamer. So I guess I guess I I gotta take the uh, favorite gift there. PlayStation 4 I got for a few years ago for Christmas. Um, I just I, there's so many consoles I could go with here. There's Nintendo 64, <laughs> the GameCube. There's so many options, but I, that plays it. I've had the PlayStation 4 for a while, so yeah, I'm gonna go with that. I like that. The N64 would be my answer for sure. So I like that. Yeah, and I think with that uh, Sony answer, you're now officially teammates with uh, Full Tank Phil. Because yep. he, he picks he was one of the sponsors as well. So, uh, you know, Stephen Phil coming to a track near you. <laughs> at Full Tank Phil, not at Speedway Steve. Sorry. Man. <laughs> we we like right. Phil over here. We, we were on his show once. He's a, he's a good guy. Oh, yes. Phil's the man. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we have, would you consider yourself tough, analytical, or free-spirited? I think uh, I like to portray myself as tough. But uh, I would say I'm, I'm more analytical than anything at, at the root of it. Okay. I'm sorry if you guys hear a train. I live near a train track. Do you... Oh, no, oh, I hear it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. <laughs> good. Um, I, I would say I'm definitely the uh, analytical person. I like to think pretty critically. Uh, I, take, I usually take longer than I should to make decisions on things, which is good and bad. I'm, you know, I'm... I like to think about just about everything a little more than I should. So that's yeah. kind of how I guess I roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I think me and Chris are pretty much the same. Th- I mean, we're literally on a podcast about like breaking down golf courses and tracks and, you know, which, you know, like we get way too deep into uh, the minutia of our perspective sports. So I think like if you're doing this, you know, as a hobby, like I feel like we've got, we've had a lot of analytical answers and I think there's kind of a reason for that. Yeah, we have a we're we're on the same vein for sure. Yeah. All right, last one on the docket here, and then I'll kind of explain what some of these questions mean. But if you're given a large sum of money and you can only use it to purchase something online, what do you buy? Ooh, something online that gets like eventually delivered to the house or what? I yeah, mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'll right. let you read it right. how you want to. Let me, let me <laughs> receive it. Yes. <laughs> um. Man, probably probably video games. I mean, that that would be, um, you know, you can buy so many different genres and, you know, different titles and, and, you know, keep yourself entertained that way. So if I'm stuck only buying something online, that that would probably be it. Okay. You have a specific I'll, website you go to, like GameStop or sorry. Uh, GameStop. Yeah, big believer. So <laughs> to the moon. Love that. <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> to the moon. R slash Wall Street Bet. Special title sponsor of Speedway Steve. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get rich. That's it. Uh, this I, I agree. This this is tough. Um, I've already answered kind of like on the gaming side, so I guess let's go towards the uh, the car side. I've always had. I guess uh, I've always had a dream car. It was a Chevy Corvette. So go ahead and give me a Chevy Corvette newest model delivered to the house like Phil said i'm a happy guy all right there we go all right so with that being said what you guys were doing there if you haven't already figured out you're building your own car 
So your favorite color, you guys both went in blue. So you guys have a blue paint scheme going on here. Favorite numbers, you guys went one in 48. So Steve's already got, I mean, we're, it feels like we're already building the 48 car because we got the blue and the 48. Um, for extrovert and introvert, it's kind of the, it's the number placement. So extrovert, we're going the standard number. Introvert, we're going the shifted inverted number, kind of like we have now. Uh, the best Christmas gift you ever received. And uh, so between that question and the last question, that was going to determine the sponsor on your car. Nice. So you guys are either going with, Steve's either going with like a Sony or a PlayStation sponsor, or we're going with a Chevy sponsor. And then, uh, Phil, you're going with the Columbia, or maybe something bowling related, maybe? Columbia's fun, also, sure. Or you could even go you know, like a Steam or a GameStop or something like that. So, uh, and then obviously, then the other question you had was the tough, analytical, or um, free spirited. You guys both went analytical, which is um, Toyota, because it's their. Their uh, sponsor is Find New Roads. Or no, that's Chevy, right? Is that Chevy? Uh, Chevy, yeah, Chevy's Find New yeah. Roads. Toyota is Let's Go Places. Yeah. So, yeah. Chevy, you guys are both Chevy. So, hey, that works Chevy out for guys. Because you got the Corvette going say, there, too. Yeah, I was going to say the Toyota, uh, you know, model with the Corvette <laughs> paint scheme. Probably not the best uh, brand, <laughs> but yeah, we got there eventually. As long as the check's cash, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'm going to take all this information, and I'm going to send it to a designer of mine, and he built these cars on iRacing, and I'm going to shoot these over to you in a few weeks. So Sweet. We'll, we'll post it on our Twitter page, and I'll tag you guys in it. So uh, it's pretty good. We've had some good turnout so far. I don't know if, you guys, if you guys have a chance, go back and look at the ones that Full Tank Phil built or our buddy Thomas. They turned out really well. Um, so I'm excited to see what these look like. Very cool exercise. So awesome. and I guess I guess to go uh, to go even further with the whole paint job thing. So if there's any sponsor that you or sponsor paint job number or maybe just a favorite paint job of any car in in history, what is your absolute favorite or what would you have built if you knew that's what we were doing? Uh, the the Tide car always stuck out to me, like the Ricky Rudd Tide car. That was that always caught my eye. Um, but I was a Jeff Gordon fan growing up, so. Um, <laughs> You know, but the, the the just as far as pure paint is the Ricky Rudd 10. Yeah, that's been a recurring answer, I think. For yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's the, it's the Rainbow uh, Warrior car, the Jeff Gordon car, got me into NASCAR. That's gotta be the one for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I've got a so, question. Uh, oh, go ahead, Ian. Yeah. As uh, yeah, as the resident outsider here, um, but um, it's it's crazy that I've. You guys are both Gordon fans. I mean, Chris and I are from Charlotte, so I, I was I grew up an Earnhardt fan because he grew up in Kannapolis, just right down the road from me. It, is Gordon? Do you think Gordon's more popular up north? Because I know down south, like he was not a popular driver here in North Carolina, like when it was Earnhardt versus uh, versus JG. I I don't know. I I I always felt like Gordon appealed to like the younger crowd. So like you know, mm-hmm. I, I was young and it just you know, he was a young guy too and just coming up and he was good. So it was easy to, you know, you know, hit your cart to that wagon. Plus there's like, there's a DuPont like close by. So, you know, there, you go. Yeah. there was always, you know, he was on billboards and stuff and it's just top of mind awareness at that time. So I was kind of trained to like Jeff Gordon and it worked. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I can't, I guess I kind of agree with that. I mean, it, it, it is kind of like uh the age demographic there with the uh, Gordon coming in as the younger guy and Earnhardt was like geared towards guys that were like veterans, fans of the sport. So I guess uh, 
don't know. I don't know if it's a north or south thing, but yeah, I, I, I guess that might. Yeah, it might have something to do with the fact that my dad got me in an NASCAR. So the fact that he was an Earnhardt fan kind of plays in that generational thing. So I got swept up in that, along with the fact that my dad got to watch uh, Ralph uh, Dale's dad race on dirt tracks around here when he was a kid. So um, oh yeah. Just, just, just interesting how that kind of works out. But yeah, I was not allowed to have a, uh, you know how the all, all of us kids had like little diecast cars. I was not allowed to have a Jeff Gordon car. <laughs> wow. Like, I would go to Target and like, pick out the cars, and my dad would like if it was if it was a 24, I would was not allowed to put it in the cart. Wow, that's uh, yeah. that's awesome parenting. You know, <laughs> that is that is right that, at that's, it. Yeah, I love it. Out there. Love it. Funny man. thing that you mentioned about those diecast cars. I, as a young kid, I used to um, sit on the couch and I used to have like this ramp, and I used to have all these diecast cars. I used to race them down, like down the ramp, and I used to try yeah. and see which which one was the fastest car, you know, diecast car. The Ricky yeah. Rudd one was always really quick for whatever reason. <laughs> Side note: I think we all did that, but my grandpa he used to be like, you know, who who do you want to win? you know, when I was racing them down and he would WD 40, the wheels. So like I was, I was fixing the game even, even then. So it's, uh, no, yeah. I would, just, I, I would just redo it until my guy won. That's what yeah. I would do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. like, oh, false start. Yeah. Earnhardt gets a new, gets a redo. Let's go. Let's go again. I used to have this, like, we, we had this like carpet in our living room. It was like this giant carpet and it had like a, like a circular form to it. So I would take all my cars and line them up as I was watching the race on Sundays and I just like kind of race them around the track. That was my that was my go-to on Sundays. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, love that. What's actually so it's actually pretty funny about this whole conversation is, uh, and I meant to bring this up at the beginning, I completely forgot, but me and Phil actually the whole reason me and Phil connected was because when I was on Phil's podcast, um, there was a little tidbit that he had caught on to about my history in NASCAR. So um, as some of our listeners already know, my dad used to work in NASCAR. Well, small world, be it. My dad worked with one of Phil's cousins, right? Am I right? On yeah, one team yep. for the Pennzoil car. For for Steve Park. Yeah. Yep. I uh he said it was your dad? Is that what it was? Yeah. 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 My cousin said your dad is the man. Like he's <laughs> one of the nicest guys on the planet. And I it just it blew me away. I was like, what a small world this is. So here we Crazy. are. And it's incredible. Incredible stuff. So, yeah, so and that's that's obviously my favorite paint scheme because that's what I grew up. My dad always worked for that team, so I love the one Pennzoil. That, that that was a sharp looking car too, for sure. Oh yeah, so, all those DEI cars. Were really awesome. Long lasting sponsor there, Pennzoil. So I, I didn't realize how far that's gone back, but that's a that's an icon. So. Oh definitely. Is your is your dad still involved? Uh yes and no. So not with NASCAR like like the Cup Series or anything like that. So. Once he once DEI kind of fell apart, he left the sport because he didn't really. He kind of was worried about what was going to happen with the sport at that point in time. A lot of people were. Um, so he ended up with a different career path. But he actually is best friends. with the whole reason we actually moved from New York to North Carolina when we were younger is because my dad is best friends with Tommy Baldwin. And uh, my dad still helps Tommy Baldwin with, with modifieds on the weekends. So Awesome. So, yeah, he's still still involved, but just not quite, not quite to the level he was back in the day. That's, that's really cool. My, uh, my cousin's still with, uh, Kislowski with the, uh, the new RFK team. So he's the tire specialist over there. So what's up? What's up, Rob? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right here in Charlotte too. They're the RFK, um, facility is right beside one of the local airports. It's right beside Mm -hmm. Concord National Airport. So uh, I, uh, I, I, I fly down to Florida quite a bit. So 
I always drive by the RFK uh, build whenever I'm going on a trip down there. Well, give him a little little beep on the horn for me. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess we'll move into. So I guess we kind of just talked about some of our histories, but I want to know kind of how you guys got into how you guys got into NASCAR, how you guys got into NASCAR betting. Um, so yeah, what is your what's your guys' history and, and your bring up look like, and and maybe what is your earliest memory of NASCAR? Sure. Um, well, Steve and I we've been friends, you know, probably as long as as you and Ian. Um, but during the pandemic, when everything shut down, there was like no gambling on anything except Russian ping pong, and then NASCAR came back. And you know, I'm a degenerate, and I like to gamble on everything. So uh, I knew Steve followed NASCAR. I didn't, at you know, close enough to bet on it. And, um, you know, we started putting in small plays and it's like, wow, we we can beat this market. And then, you know, we started buying lap data and, you know, putting together uh, an algorithm and all kinds of stuff. And a year and a half later, here we are. It's pretty, pretty dope. So that's that's how we got into it. Yeah, Phil can uh, kind of uh, I, I don't know. He can go back farther than I can because he got me into everything. Uh, I don't know when he – like, when did you officially like, start betting, period? Uh, like when I was 16 or 17, I guess. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, you know when every young man, uh, you know, <laughs> starts their, their gambling journey. Uh, but, yeah, like through a bookie, you know, and, um, you know, then in college I became a bookie for a little while. And then, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to root against other people. So then I, you know, uh, started betting on my own stuff again and <laughs> haven't stopped. So here we are. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I guess. Yeah. I was going to ask. I know it's not part of uh, Chris's scheduled uh, interview, but I was going to ask, is there one specific hit that you've had like uh, in NASCAR that either uh you know resonates in your mind that you guys have it together or something that like really kind of turned a switch in your head that says we, let's make this into like a you know legit hobby or something that we can we can gather following around what was kind of your 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 best moment as far as this, this little short journey in nascar betting so far uh i would say we we had a little bit of a following when we when we hit it but we had almarola 80 to 1 at loudon last year which was oh, wow. awesome yeah it was <clears throat> that was pretty a pretty sick outright to hit um but then, you know, we, 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 there was one weekend we hit three outrights for all three series. And I was like, holy shit, man, we're pretty good at this. So yeah, seriously, man. That, that sticks out to me. But, Steve, you might have a different answer. No, I don't think. I, the, obviously, the Amarola one was big. But I think um, there was a – not that long ago we, when we first started, we would – how many followers did we, did we think we had? 20? Yeah, not many. <laughs> <laughs> we've been there very recently trust us <laughs> so yeah we've, we've come a long way since then so we've hit quite a few outrights last year but again like the Amarillo one was pretty big um beyond that we had Kurt um, Busch at 66 to 1 I think for yes, a the, stage the, or something which I don't know how you handicap a stage but Steve did it and it won so you know no, I think he, whatever. he won the whole race. He won the race he, that weekend. He, he dominated, didn't he? Yeah, Atlanta. Yep. He, he had the, uh, yeah. the gear wrench car, and we built, you know, went on that narrative and ended up pulling through. Yeah. Yes, that was a that was a sick weekend too. Yeah, good days That's when like, Kurt Busch could run Atlanta. It's a good sign <laughs> when you're only pulling from what a year and a half or two years of racing, and you 
can barely come up with like your favorite one. Like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when like during the off season, you know, you're betting football and basketball, and I was like, Steve, man, you know, nothing is more exciting than having like a thirty to one alive with five to go. Like, you could Absolutely. go ten and zero in basketball, but it's it doesn't even touch like that sweat, like oh, yeah. the Almirola sweat. Like I've never felt like that ever in my life. It's just, yeah. and to know that we handicapped it. We, I'm not just tailing some dude on Twitter about a basketball game. Like we put in the work, we found the edge and we hit it. And it's like, wow, man, like let's take a serious run at, at trying to do something special here. So yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah, that's, that's what sticks out to me. Definitely. I mean, I that's think, super impressive. Yeah, go ahead, bud. Sorry. Yeah, I, th- I think what capped that off was the fact that it was ending under darkness and we didn't even know when the, the race was going to end. So. <laughs> Yeah, because Chris Bell was closing closing down on him. Yeah, he was closing the gap, and they weren't sure if they're going to end like the race on the full schedule or if they're going to end it due to darkness. So they they shut it down like I think ten laps short, and then that might have been what we needed to get the, you know, the win there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I was yeah. liked about their page too is you guys are always so transparent about like every series too. I mean, you guys are you guys are betting it feels like truck Xfinity Cup every weekend, even some F one here and there. So. Yeah, that's something I've always loved to follow from you guys. Is it's not just it's not just here and there. It's it seems like every weekend you guys are you guys are firing off just about every series, and that's fun. Yeah, and I mean, part that, that that comes with being somewhat public and having somewhat of a following is when you're losing, you know. Yeah. Folks, you know, hide from it, but I mean, we don't. Sometimes it's tough to to post a recap where it says, "Hey, man, you know, we're down eight units today." You know. Not a lot of handicappers do that. They'll open a new handle and start over. But, I mean, we don't hide from it. We, we're having a rough start to the year. We're, I think we're down 22 units or something. But, um, you know, new car. Uh, yeah. A lot of, lot of new situations. We're, we've got some good data points for Richmond, though. So we're, we're excited to rip into it. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the thing with outright betting is, I mean, heck, me and Chris have totally experienced that with golf and NASCAR. And they're like, oh, and, you know, just, I mean, when you're betting – basically underdogs, even if, even if you are betting Chase Elliott Watkins Len, like he's still an underdog to win the actual race. Right. So, I mean, sure. you go on these prolonged stretches, but one good week and all of a sudden, um, I mean, I, I was over nine to start 2022 in golf betting hit two in a row and we're, we're comfortably in the green now. So it's just like, you know, you, you keep at it, you keep your nose, uh, on the grindstone and you, you know, you trust your process. And when the results come, they come uh, in bunches and they can, they can really turn the season around just, just like that. So sir well said well said all right so i think i got two more questions for you guys and then we'll we'll jump right into that richmond data that richmond data so uh the next one i have up for you and i think me and phil are kind of talking about this before we jumped on a little bit but um you guys being up in you know the pa jersey area you guys have dover and pocono closest to you guys so is that your favorite track or do you have a dip you have another favorite and then with that being said what's a what's a bucket list track for you guys that you, you want to go to someday uh I'll go first, I guess, Steve, but Dover is not my favorite track. It's just close, but it, it, you know, it tends to be kind of boring. Um, a bucket list track would probably be like either Bristol or the Charlotte Roval. And I, either of those two, if I can go before I die, that's, that's the way to be. Hey, that's, that's perfect. Cause we're right here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you ever need a place to stay, here we are. <laughs> Invite accepted. <laughs> For me, I guess um, Dover is okay. I, I know uh, Phil went to his uh, 
I don't, I don't think it was your first over race, but you did go with us last year. Uh, I know I, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed that. But, um, yeah, because yeah, we had Logano in the top five, and he snuck in there with, like, two to go. So that was Yes, sweet. sir. He put on those fresh tires and drove his way up to the field. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's Bristol. Uh, I've been there once. I went to the uh, Bristol night race a couple years ago. Um, it, there's nothing like that atmosphere. It is just, it is an uh, atmosphere unlike anything. I mean, I, I don't haven't been to that, that many races, but that was one that um, I've been to Dover, um, Bristol. I guess, um, I guess in person, those are the only two I've been to. But uh, the, the atmosphere, the night race is just, uh, just uh, there's nothing that matches that that feeling. And Bristol with the you, you can see the entire track. Uh, there's, there's no, there's nothing. I have nothing bad I have to say about, about uh, Bristol. Yeah, that's that's a bucket list track for me, and it's only like two and a half hours away. So like, I don't know why I haven't been, but it seems like it seems like, and I've been talking with Full Tank Phil and uh, and Derek at Picks by Blaze as well. I really feel like there's going to be a meetup between all of us in this industry and we just all just need to meet up at Bristol and just, we just need to do it now. Like well, as soon as we get off this podcast, let's just buy the tickets and all of us have, just, just, let's just go. I'm in. Done. <laughs> Done. All right. So yeah. last one, last one I have for you guys. And this one I gave you guys ahead of time. So that you can prepare. So this is going to be the big talking point. Uh, but if president of NASCAR, Steve Phelps was to hand you guys the keys to NASCAR tomorrow, what is your first plan of action? What are you changing? I would like um, to more mirror like what F1 does uh, with their broadcasts. Um, number one, they're commercial free, which is pretty sweet. Uh, number two, they um, they'll they'll talk in their lingo, but they'll also explain what's happening for for the casuals. But it's it's really educational, and they have to keep track of a lot of different pit strategies and different tire compounds and stuff like that. And they do an excellent job of keeping it all straight and kind of letting the viewer know who's on what and what to expect and what's happening. And those guys are just, there's not a lot of, um, like I love Boyer, um, but he's kind of a clown sometimes. And and sometimes the broadcast gets away from what's actually happening on the track. Like earlier this year, um, I, I, I think it was at Coda, uh, you know, we bet the truck race and they're showing Zane Smith's team celebrating in pit lane while, you know, um, the battle for seventh is coming across the line and I've got action on it. I want to know what's happening, you know, so I want to see what's happening on the track. Like uh, for the F1 race, they were showing the battle for 10th coming across the line. And yeah. I would just like to be more focused on on the action of the race, because, I mean, we're sitting there for three hours to see how it's going to end. Let's see how it ends. You know, not everybody's just interested in you know, seeing Zane Smith's Jackman jump off the wall, like whatever, that's cool. Yeah. But I, that'll happen 30 seconds from now too. Um, and I also think that F1 is really appealing to a mass audience here in the United States with like their Netflix special. That's really gaining some traction. You hear a lot of people talking about that, even that aren't race fans that are becoming race fans. So maybe right. some kind of in-depth show like that. I think that's incredible. And I mean, I like F1, so I'm, I'm all for it. I hope that gets popular, too. Uh, the more racing, the better. Um, but those are just kind of the things that, that stick out to me. I, I think F1 just puts out a better product, and that means they're a worldwide 
brand and everything's more recognizable. So that's that's what I would change first. So let me let me ask. Well, I think, Steve, I think you mentioned that you're my answer might be F1 related, too. So maybe I'll save my question. But I do want to come back to want to come back to Phil's. I have a question for you on yours. All right. I'm ready. Maybe. Um, okay, so I guess my answer to this, for, I want to preface this with saying that uh, I thought about this a lot, and I feel, I really feel like NASCAR is going in a very good direction right now. So it was honestly difficult for me to think of one, something that I have to criticize, which is, uh, it's not something I can, I can really say is the, has been the case in the past few years, but I, I like what they're doing with like innovation. Uh, they're keeping things interesting with all these new types of racetracks. The, this new car has been very good. It's even the playing field quite a bit. Just a lot of good things going on. The, fan, the fans are coming back, and there's a lot more people at the track. Everything seems to be going in a pretty good direction. Um, so with that in mind, though, I do. I still have a little bit of an issue with uh, race control and uh, their. Um, I call it officiating when when they're throwing yellow flags when they're not throwing yellow you know yellow flags things like that it it just it doesn't feel like the consistency is really there yet in that regard so hopefully um they can get that figured out I just I w- I wish they could uh be more consistent I I guess an example would be I'm sure you, you all remember the tire situation. It's when Fisher was leading. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That. And, and again, and then an example of this past weekend was, um, I think it was, uh, was who it was it stalled out on the track? Eric Jones, yeah. maybe. Stenhouse. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Stenhouse. it was Eric. Yeah. Yes. So even the broadcast team like grilled NASCAR for that because the, all the all the teams that like. Uh, Happen to be by pit Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Chris can explain it better than I can. But yeah, basically, like they just got a free pit stop uh, because the teams were like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a caution. They just haven't thrown it yet for some reason. And uh, like probably what, five or 10 teams got a free pit stop because NASCAR, like, I guess, uh, swallowed the whistle for an extra 30 seconds for some reason. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it's always inconsistent or it's like oh that happened to benefit chase elliott that's that's interesting or <laughs> you know something like that mm-hmm. but uh so yeah i guess what i want to come back to for and i really for both i get for both of you i guess so you mentioned mostly the f1 uh model that you kind of wanted to follow is that more just the broadcast related or are you saying all the way around so i guess because my one of my changes i think that is well, not necessarily one of my changes, but one thing that's been really popular on Twitter this past week after we just had a four-hour race at Coda is the length of the races. F1, they are done in two hours. So is that something that you think NASCAR should institute, or do you like the long the long races of NASCAR? I I don't mind the, the length of the races. Um, I do think that you could do away with uh, both of the stages. I think you could do maybe one stage at, like, you know, the 35% or 40% complete, but like, you know, it kind of takes away at a road course. Why are we awarding points, um, you know, to the guys that stay out and then, you know, you, you get the guys that short pit and it, it just, it, it, it boggles the field. You don't really know what you have until after the last stage, who's fast, who's not. I, I just, I, I think that you could do away with, with at least one of the stages, um, you know, that way you, you bunch up the field once but you don't have to do it 
twice and that elongates everything and it, it just makes the one more important. So maybe you want to stay out and get the points instead of short pitting or, you know, it, it would just be a different strategy, I think. But it kind of, I mean, yeah, to, to jump on that, I mean, it kind of takes away from the significance of like qualifying in general. And I think it takes away from the significance of the first like quarter of the race because like, you know, you could be hanging back in 30th place for like the first for this for this week's example like 20 laps you know you're getting a free restart and like after like the first third of the race so like why are you pressing to to pass the field you know like you can kind of just like use that time i mean you saw chase like he was struggling for a lot of that stage one um but and was benefited really by the kind of the two free cautions there that he got with stage to one and two ending and then um was able to kind of work his way up the field so yeah it, it really like i guess it 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 adds a bit of drama if you're like if you're really into the championship race and or the race for the championship or race for kind of the regular season title or whatever because you get those stage points uh added to your to your uh total as far as like the season long total goes but uh in the terms of the actual race flow it, it kind of feels a little bit like you said a little bit unearned like cam on the for example on stage two just stayed out yeah. and just got a free what 10 points so it doesn't really like mean all that much it just feels like uh but unnecessary for sure yeah, and we saw what happened to Daniel Suarez. He, I mean, he had one of the best cars in the race, and he ha- he was he's one of these guys that hasn't won a race yet this year. So I don't believe he's all that far up in the points. So it was kind of he was kind of forced to stay out and take the stage points. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, that means you're you're basically starting in the middle of the pack with all the, the mayhem, and yeah. that pretty much ended his day. Well, not ended it, but like he spun and then. He never really recovered from that point. So my remedy for that would be just – and, again, these stages, they cut off the flow of the race by – this Coda is a four-mile four track, so it takes them so long to run caution laps that uh, the attention span of audi- the audiences now is it's not where it used to be. The, people want action <laughs> constantly, so I feel like stages – you can have stages – but I don't think you need to be stopping the race. You need to just award the points at a certain lap uh, and continue racing. So that's that's where I stand with that. Oh yeah, I mean if you're if you're Suarez, you've got to be so upset because I mean you were dominating that race in stage one, and then to his point, I mean the fact that you know basically these guys, the guys that got to pit and the guys that don't care about stage points and they got to pit with two with two to go in stage one got an advantage on him to his point in the restart. I mean Suarez went from again one of the probably the favorite the co-favorite to win that race or at least you know a guy that was should have been there until the end uh into a guy that um was out of the picture after the first corner of stage two yeah we had we had suarez 100 to 1 tickets so yeah yeah i think you weren't alone on that i saw a lot of twitter buzz on suarez after his practice sessions and qualifying so yeah he got he got live to like i think it was seven to two he was like plus 350 or something i was like oh man and you know (laughs) And I, I think I texted Steve. I was like, he's got a pit here. He's He's got a pit or mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be in trouble. And there we are. Well, I think he got overlooked because last year at the road courses, he had the only reason why he had bad finishes was because of mechanical failures. Otherwise, not, he's a pretty decent road course racer. So he kind of just was painted in a bad light there just from no fault of his own. So. Also, y'all had him like pre-qualifying, pre-practice. Then it sounds oh, yeah, like yeah, they would have had to. One, yeah, yeah. <laughs> y'all were all on it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I was I was a little bit nervous. I'm like Steve, I I don't know about this one, but he always <laughs> knows about this one. He, you know, who am I to who am I to judge? <laughs> so. 
So those are the ones that are fun though. Like when you're yeah. on those and like even 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 contending at a price like that is just that's so that's so much fun to have. All right, so I guess with with that being said, we'll we'll kind of transition here to some some content. So we talked a little bit beforehand, Phil. So Phil on the was on the other side of our card. We unfortunately lost this past week with Dinger and Bowman, all those guys up front. But Phil had a Ross ticket as well. So yeah, talk about talk about how that was. That turned out at least. Yeah, I mean that that was cool. I uh, publicly we didn't have a Ross ticket, right? But right. I always have a Ross ticket if there's a race on. <laughs> I've got a Ross ticket. I have a watermelon man shirt. Um, got this die cast sitting three feet away. That's my guy. I'm, I'm a Ross Chastain fan through and through. And, uh, I kept telling Steve, I'm like, if we leave him off the ticket, I had so much FOMO. I'm like, I, we're going to miss it. We're, we're going to miss it. We had a ticket, um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we've had him all year. And, uh, so I just had to, I had to place one and, um, uh, I would have, you know, I'm happy it cashed. I would have liked to seen the Suarez one. We had Reddick at 50 to one. That would have been nice, you know, because at this point, it, it's weird. I almost don't care about my own stuff. I care about what we put out to oh, the yeah, public. I'd, sure. I'd rather, I'd rather that hit. I mean, what good is a, uh, you know, a Ross Chastain win ticket if I can't share it with, you know, 2,000 people? But, yeah. you know, what are you gonna do? So, I'll just take this one on the chin. Next best thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. But spoiler alert, I'm gonna have a Ross ticket this week too. Yeah. So sure Christmas is the same way Maddie D everyone's a truck race. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in on Maddie D in every truck race and, and Reddick in every cup race. So you, I, I I totally get it. You bet on that that Rackley War truck every week? Pretty much, yeah. Oh Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's not I, it's not a it's not a proud click every week, but it's like oh, one of those things like I have to <laughs> I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss yeah. out. All right. I, 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 I don't respect. think you have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Take a week off, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. Oh lord. Okay. okay. Well, so Chris will just come up as well. I talk about all the losers I've betting this week in golf. <laughs> so I guess with that being said, we'll transition to to Richmond. So I'm gonna let me give the floor to you guys for a little bit. I want to hear kind of maybe what you guys have some early leans or if you guys have some. Some props out there that you've kind of already already uh, circled. Not what you don't have to give away your whole card by any means. I know it's it's also Tuesday night, so it's very early in the week. So just anything you guys are kind of leaning on here early for Richmond. You know, is it a track that you guys typically like, or have you had good success there? Just hit on any, anything and everything. Sure. Um, I guess I'll, I'll open. Um, we um we picked Richmond just because number one, um, we'd have a data point with Phoenix. They're they're kind of similar. So. Like I said, it's been tough this year going in blind. So, you, you know, you go to all these different kind of tracks and you don't know um, how the, the new car is going to handle it. And as we've seen, uh, it's been awesome. They're like hard to drive, which is cool. Um, you know, the tire wear like it, you know, um, auto club wasn't like what they thought it would be. And it's just been chaos, which is hard to handicap, but, you know, fun to watch. So we figured with Richmond, it's a short track. Um, we'd have Phoenix you know, in the rear view mirror that we can kind of draw from. And uh, we're big fans of uh, Ryan over at iFantasy Race. He puts out the best data sets there is. Agreed. Um, Agreed on so, that. yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. I got them printed out here in my lap. But um, so we kind of figured who's been decent historically at Richmond recently, and then we can see who was good at Phoenix and try and merge those two things together to get a picture of of what might happen. And 
uh, an early lean for me, I, I was looking at Austin Dillon uh, at 40 to one. I think that's an exceptional price. I, th- I definitely think we'll, we'll get some value there. He was quick at Richmond. He was pretty quick at, um, at Phoenix. And so was Redick. So as a team, RCR has kind of been clicking. Uh, so I, I like the 40 to one price. I'm looking on DraftKings now here. Um, seeing like plus 500 for a top five, which is, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the top, top 10 number will probably be like plus 200 or something. And I think that is worth a shot. Um, but yeah, Steve, I actually, I actually got that on my card this week. I have an Austin Dillon top 10 even bet right now. So. Is it even? It's even. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I think that's man. Ship it. I, I love that. I love that. So him and, and Reddick both stood out as, as potential plays. And I know Steve was, was keen in on a couple other guys as well. Yeah. I'll be honest. Um, this year has been extremely difficult for me. It feels like I'm constantly just uh, shuffling back and forth between who I think is going to be fast week to week. Cause if you it, right now at least this weekend, if you look at last year's data, you would say, "Oh, this is a Joe Gibbs all all day." Um, but really, you look at Phoenix this year and the new car, and you're like, "Oh, no way you can play Joe Gibbs." You know what I mean? So I kind of I almost want to avoid that team altogether if I can. And so I want to lean more towards guys like uh, Daniel Suarez at Trackhouse. I know an MGM, he just opened up at fourth at 40 to one and about even money for a top 10. So um, that feels like a a good starting point for me. If you're looking into head to heads, I like the head to heads this week. Um, Looking at, uh, I mean, Tyler Reddick a little bit. Uh, William Byron is probably going to be a guy going to be fading this week a little bit. Not a very good track history for him. I think he's been kind of the weakest link here for for uh, Hendrick Motorsports too. So that Reddick over William Byron matchup looks uh, favorable to me. Yeah, I mean, um, and it's it's kind of surprising because last year you thought that that Byron would be the guy really had a breakout year and it, it's kind of turning out to be Bowman. I mean, yeah, I, I, I talk so much junk on Bowman over the, the off season and, you know, Steve likes him and, you know, he defended him and here I am, I'm, I'm eating my words. I mean, Bowman has been bad fast all year. I mean, he's even, I, I mean, you hate to say it. I, I feel like he's been more consistent than Elliot and Larson. Uh, I mean, sure. I don't, I don't know if we're ready to anoint Alex Bowman as the, <laughs> the Hendrix bell cow, but I mean, that guy has been, He's been good this year. So yeah. uh, when when Steve was texting me potential matchups with Bowman, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I can do it. And last year I would have, you know, fought him tooth and nail. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in on Bowman. Yeah. And the good thing about Bowman is even though, yeah, it's kind of tough to call him a bell cow when you have former champions at Larson and Elliott. But, I mean, the the books have not really given him the respect that he's earned over these first couple months of the season. Because, I mean, you can still find him at as clearly the fourth man in Hendrick um, in terms of like the odds board, I see like 18, 20 to one this week. And, you know, with guys like Larson and Elliott leading the pack as far as their favorites. And then Byron always feels like a buzzy name uh, for a lot of guys in the know. I know Chris, I fully expected to have plenty of Bowman tickets um, kind of lined up for myself here in 2022. But yeah, like you said, it's not really come off for Bowman and, and or for Byron. And, and to your point, Bowman's been, been the guy that's been, been there late uh, in a lot of these races for Hendrick. Yeah, he's backing into wins, you know? <laughs> backing into it but did you, no, uh, he was, did you, did you see his quote what he said about his uh his his advice for chastain and it was like because uh for anybody who doesn't know so dinger obviously after he got out of the 
the uh, care center made a comment of, you know, if, if Rosh Chastain can look himself in the mirror and, and be okay with what he did, then, you know, so be it. And they interviewed Bowman and was like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? He was like, shit, I've been there. Just put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> and sell the crap out of it. Yep. That was an amazing line. I love that. Yeah, like, good. I'm actually interested to see how many, like, how much support Bowman's garnered. Because I do feel like he is kind of the underdog of NASCAR right now with how much stick he's got over his last two wins. Like, like I feel like that's a persona that a lot of NASCAR fans will, like, will attach themselves to. So when we, when I do go to a race this year, like, I I think we'll see more 48 shirts than maybe, like, we, we would have seen uh, uh, 12 months ago, right? Oh, I'm I, I agreed. I, I would I would rock a Bowman shirt. No problem. Yeah. He uh he's kind of won me over. I, I He's a great follow on Twitter. He's a funny guy. Um, He's kind of got like an endearing personality. He, you know, he cares about his dogs. I mean, he cares about, yeah. you know, he's like a he's like the guy next door. He, he um, mm-hmm. you know, donates to a lot of different things. He's it's hard not to like the guy. And I'm, I'm in. I'm in yeah. on Bowman. Yeah. Now, do y'all have any insight? Because he said it was like a really crappy week. That was his quotes in the post-race interview. Was he like dealing with the sickness or was he just talking about like just the whole Coda experience over the weekend? Like, because it seemed like he was really obviously down after the race finished in second. But um, he like kind of uh, insinuated he wasn't having a very good time there in, in Austin over the weekend. I think it was, it was probably mainly because like he him and Kyle should have really dueled out for that victory in the truck race. And then they all get into each other. And then, nice. and then, and then in the cup race, obviously he's on the outside and probably has the best line to win that before Chastain shoved Dinger right into him. So, <laughs> so, you know, you know, it's just, I think for him, he probably saw two victories, whereas it turned out as, you know, not that. Gotcha. Yeah. We were kind of counting on him in a, we had him in the top five in that truck race at plus plus one fifty, which I think I was irresponsibly large on. And, uh, you know that that didn't turn out so good. <laughs> so can't be any worse than those the uh, the people that had Dinger and DraftKings and ended up with like a 30th place 32nd place finish after he was in the lead with two corners to go. Yeah, it's That's tough. Not, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, I may have had him in some DFS lineups that cost me a decent amount of uh, money there. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we've all been. Would there. you have Would you have bought new curtains? <laughs> no, I'm perfectly content with what's. Behind, yeah, I like this. Honest, I like but... this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, all right, so, so, so Steve, yeah, we can't all be filled with a man cave there with a Jordan poster and the Ali poster in the background. Dig yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> looks, like my house, looks like my high school gym, uh, gym teacher classroom. Yeah, no, there's there's no gym down here. I I couldn't <laughs> even tell you where the nearest one is. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but um, let's see some other ones we were looking at. Uh, in the head-to-head, we liked, let's see, Dylan over Cindric, I, I think is currently hanging at 120. We were kind of hoping for a better price somewhere um, when the, you know, Sugar House and MGM and Caesars put out their their matchups. But I, I definitely think that's got to be on the card. And um, I kind of liked Logano a little bit this week. Steve, He's on you, my card. He's on my yeah, card as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was fast at, at – uh, both Richmond's last year, I think he ultimately finished third in the um, the spring race there behind Bowman and Hamlin. Um, and he had a pretty good run, top 10 run at, at Phoenix. He's always been good at figuring things out, like, you know, the Bristol dirt, like whenever something is new, he's in the discussion. So I, I think he's got um, like the ability to learn and adapt quickly. So I think that's what this whole season is about, is learning a new car and adapting to, you know, 
everything that's that's happening. And I think Logano is kind of worth a look. For sure. And he's been he's been second in uh, total speed in all 22 so far. And we've already technically seen him as our first winner. I mean, I know it didn't count, but, you know, in L.A., he mm-hmm. he got done at a short track. So we've got that got that data point as well. And I think his teammate Blaney's been, you know, he's number one in laps led, number one in total speed. So I just I, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were on Blaney at uh at uh, Auto Club. So same. Yeah, <laughs> I think I listened to your show. I was like, I I feel you, Chris. I think he lost <laughs> sixty five spots or something on pit road. Yeah, it was something stupid, uh, something <laughs> ridiculous. I yeah, fired them all <laughs> on Twitter. I fired his whole team on Twitter. I don't know why they keep coming back to work, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, Blaney to me is another. He's another one of those question marks for me, just like the Joe Gibbs group, because this is not one of his best racetracks. But he's been probably one of the better drivers in this new car. So I really don't know like which Ryan Blaney are we gonna see this weekend? The one that we see that struggles at Richmond, or is it gonna be the one that's been just bad fast all season so far? Yeah, one one point I was going to bring up in, in kind of my notes when I was talking about some of the guys I was on. Well, Ryan's actually one of the guys I'm fading this week, and for two reasons. One, it seems like a lot of the industry is in on him right now because he is priced so far down. But two, um, I don't know if any of you guys listen to, but Ryan used to have a podcast that was called Glass Case of Motion that he used to do a few years ago. And it was just a bunch of general banter. But every once in a while, he'd talk about some NASCAR stuff on there. Well, he said more than once on that podcast that Richmond was his least favorite track on the circuit. So to me, it's just like a track that he doesn't like, a track he's never been good at. I'm just, yeah, I'm punt. staying away. I'm staying away. Yep, yeah. take the punt. I and I, I hate to do it because I, I, you know, I like Blaney, but I'm, I'm with you. He's got to work. I think we're kind of in like a prove it stage, you know, like have a good run, have you know, have good pit stops, get one across the line, you know, in a top five. Let let's see it, prove it. So the Xander Shoffley of NASCAR. <laughs> Go win a gold medal and exactly. yeah. <laughs> Let me see you win a, a real event first, and then we yeah. can we can talk about your number uh, in the in the coming weeks. No, I get you, I get you. Yeah, yeah. Zonder Shoffley. I mean, if he can't win one uh, one tournament, how's he gonna win match play when he gotta beat somebody <laughs> every match, right? <laughs> oh, that one that one cuts deep. <laughs> I had him. I had him last week. I was sweating every fucking shot he hits. <laughs> That, for that good was, reason, man. Yeah. Getting absolutely like boat raced by Tony Fino on the final day. Tough to watch. Fino! Oh. Sunday <laughs> Tony. He's the, in the worst on, with the worst form on uh, the tour at the moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fino couldn't make a putt over Konaya and Herbert, and then he he starts draining 30 footers over Xander. Yeah. But, uh, typical. Yeah. That's just. Um, I'm sorry. There was a, 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 a probably an unpopular fade this weekend also uh and and steve's in on it but we're we're fading larson we we can't wait to see what other matchups we get with with larson involved but we're going to be on the other side um neither one of us think he should be even close to the favorite and and he is i think he opened up as the the betting favorite here on or no he's he's 10 to 1 behind elliot and truex but um yeah i mean i i don't i don't think larson's got got the magic this week what do you think steve yeah, that that's that's actually some line movement because he opened up at nine to one, and apparently uh, Chase Elliott just went to plus eight fifty, which is I think is absolutely the right move. Uh, Chase Elliott um, should have a, a much better uh, time here than Kyle Larson. Uh, last year, Kyle Larson, if you look at track history, 
Uh, I believe he finished in the 20s in, at one of the events in Richmond last year. And then you look at what happened at the at the um, at Coda last weekend for Kyle Larson. He was struggling, struggling to get in, into the top 10. So that that's a bad combination there for me. Definitely. And like it's, it's, it is funny because I don't know if it if it works this way for NASCAR, but in terms of golf matchups, sometimes books will leave lines stale based on like pre like what they opened at. So you can get a guy, even if like he's getting a lot of steam, you can get a guy in a matchup against a guy that he was he opened like if he opens at fifty and he, he gets drifts to thirty three, he'll still get put in a matchup at even money against another guy that's fifty. So something to keep an eye on maybe at, at some of these maybe slower moving books. If you see Larson matched up again, even money against Chase or, or one of these other guys at the top of the world that these, uh, these guys like, um, yeah. jump on that. There's a um, there was a prop that I started looking at last week, and it I, I don't know if you have like Sugar House or Barstool, but they have uh, top five yes and no. Um, so it might be like a, a good week to take a no on Kyle Larson for a top five. Um, and I'm seeing on DraftKings he's um minus 125 for yes so i'd imagine he's probably even money minus 105 for no so i would definitely if that's anywhere close i'll be i'll be shipping on that that's a cool bet Uh, i haven't seen that yet that's that's cool i would love to have access to that for sure some of the benefits in new jersey there's not a lot but betting (laughs) betting is one of them yeah that we don't have that benefit in north carolina yet Yeah, I mean, we. I think Steve and I were both rooting like hell for uh for UNC on on Sunday because if St. Peter's wins, you know, in New Jersey, you can't bet on a game with a New Jersey school. So that, oh. they, they've been taking a game off the book, you know, this whole tournament. So I uh, I just want a game I can bet. So get out of here, St. Peter's. You know, hit the road. <laughs> I second that. I'm not sure that uh, sentiment. Yeah. So yeah, like um, when Notre Dame played Rutgers in the playing game, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Eh. Okay. So yeah, I had to drive over to the Eagle Stadium to bet the Irish over Rutgers. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 silly, but yeah, just come on down to New Jersey, man. You're up. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So all right, what uh, what about what are you guys thoughts on what are you guys thoughts on Kevin Harvick this week? That's a guy that I've kind of been, I've been I've been on him. I'm I'm actually on him this week. So what are your what are your thoughts? I, I know Phil is not going to like him, so I want to hear his opinion first. It depends. Is he running the pizza paint or no? <laughs> uh, what is he running actually? Hang on, I'll, I'll look at that while you're while you're explaining. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'm not a big Kevin Harvick guy. Um, I, I like we coming into last year, uh, we found this like uh, piece of data that showed like an age bell curve and performance with it in NASCAR, and Harvick is well well coming down the other side. So, uh, yep. Uh, so. I I like to fade him whenever uh, it it makes sense. I'm not afraid to to fade Kevin Harvick. I think his his days of winning nine races a year are well behind. I think if he wins one, that's he should consider that a, a successful year. Um, I mean, this is the kind of kind of track that he gets around pretty well. Um, he was moving pretty good in the the Richmond Spring Race till he backed into the wall. I think I think a tire fell off or went down or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it really depends on the matchup, but I'm I'm not a I'm not a Harvick guy. Yeah, no, I feel that. I uh oh, he's running the mobile one scheme, by the way. All right, I'm not scared of that paint. I'm scared of the pizza paint, though. <laughs> it is objectively a really nice paint job, though. If I was gonna buy a diecast, that mobile one four would be. Oh yeah. Pop the list. I do like that scheme as well. 
Yeah. So I guess I'll weigh cool. in on the Kevin Harvick situation. I I take I take notes uh, when I watch these races, and I'm looking at my notes from the Richmond race from September 11th. And I believe a quote from him on that day was he he that he ran the um the pizza scheme of course yeah, that yeah uh, brothers yep yeah <laughs> uh, he a quote was that the car was on ice that day that's why I have in my notes so I'm I'm guessing that his, he wasn't all that good um he did manage to finish eighth though yeah so I, I guess he figured it out a little bit um. A top ten for him doesn't really scream success to me though, as, especially when you when you get him matched up against guys like Chase Briscoe. I'm looking at. I would have to take Chase Briscoe over Kevin Harvick if I had to uh, pick uh, somebody in that head to head. Chase Briscoe's just been he's he's been he Chase Briscoe I would say is a new, I guess leader of that team right now with the way he's been running. Yeah. Yeah, Briscoe's been a good surprise this year. I. And you kind of saw flashes of it last year. Like um, we had him at the Indy Road Course, and it's like, man, this this kid can can translate some of his Xfinity uh, success. And he just kind of waited for it and waited for it, and he'd see flashes. But this year, he's been awesome. I mean, he's he's in the mix almost every week, and it's it's great to see. He's a he's a good kid. Yeah. So uh, I'll plead my case real quick for Harvick. See if I can convince you at all. Don't do uh, it. <laughs> so I had I had him as a T5 bet at Phoenix. Um, we we missed by one spot because he finished six. So you'd think I'd have a little heartbreak, but he ran pretty much T3 all day long um, until that final restart, and that's where he fell back to six. So I went back and kind of looked at some some models here, and uh, so far, so he's in at short track since 2019. He's been fourth best in total speed in 2021, which we know is all a down year for SHR as a whole. He was fifth best in total speed at all the short flats. And then just this year at Phoenix, he was fourth. So you can get him at plus 220 for a top five bet this week and then 16 to one for an outright. I would be lying if I said I didn't have money on both of those bets. So I am in on Harvick this week. So I'm, I'm a little sad to see that you guys aren't aren't with me here. Well, maybe we'll have to be. I mean, you're <laughs> you know, I, I can't let good information like that pass me by and not take action. But um, I guess I'll just maybe I'll just root you home. <laughs> there we go. All right. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then I guess one one last, you know, a little sprinkle, a little sprinkle. Exactly. Why not, right? Yeah, it'll be it'll be the old Phil and Chris bet. We'll we'll uh we'll have to do it. There we go. I mean, why why not just throw five bucks on a hundred to one? Yeah, for for the Steve Park number one, you know that because that's how far we go back. There There we go. go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I think we'll close out these notes here by so Steve had mentioned a little earlier he was he was fading JGR so. If there was one of the three that you had to go with, uh, would there be one particular you'd be leaning towards? I would absolutely. I'd have to go with Martin Truex because I'm going to go back to the Phoenix race this year, and all three, all three of them, I guess, weren't really running all that well. Among those four, though, Truex was at least advancing up into the, close to the top ten before he had the the the, uh, the tire go down. He hit the wall. Um, you, you also go back on track history for Truex here. Uh, track history has been um, pretty immaculate. <laughs> yeah, just about as good as anybody on the board. Yeah. So combining those two things, and he he finally figured out Phoenix as well for the. Um, with a win last year, and then he, 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 I think he could have definitely won 
the uh, championship if he doesn't get that bad break on the yellow. So yeah, uh, it's yeah, he proven that he's a guy that's good on long runs. Richmond is, it fits that mold very well. It should be a fairly incident free race. So if he can get that long run speed going this weekend, uh, he could be the guy for uh, JGR over there. Yeah, that's the that's the answer I was looking for. Uh, I had actually <laughs> written down a note here. Um, so I don't know if you guys follow uh, or if you guys venture over to driveraverages.com at all, but they have some mm-hmm. stuff over there where you can see like driver rate and stuff like that. So uh, one of the one of the things I was kind of looking at was all right, who's been the best at uh, at Richmond since 2019, and what does their driver rating look like? And I just happened to look at the that driver rating column. Martin Truex Jr. I don't think I've ever seen a driver rating this high. He had a 128 out of a out of a max of 150. It was 15 points higher than anybody else. It was I was I couldn't get past that. I was like, well, if there's anybody I'm gonna bet on this week, it's gonna be Martin Truex of that camp because if if we're gonna get him at, at nine or ten to one before we see JGR like return to supremacy, I think it's time to jump on and and potentially get a little action on them. Yeah, I mean this is a, a track layout that he gets along really well with. So if there's if there's a spot, this would be it. So I we were talking about Truex. Um, the Truex Larson matchup, I think, was one of the oh, first ones yeah. to pop, and um, we 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 were all over Truex there. So uh, that'll definitely be officially on the card, and we can certainly root root for Truex with you, Chris. There we go. We got something in common here. There it is. <laughs> so it does sound like you guys really hunt the matchups. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a golf better, so I, I like the big payday. But have you guys found maybe a bit of a bigger edge when it comes to uh, betting week to week on the matchups and the props versus outrights? Or do you guys still like, you know, like to be generous? We, sprinkle on the, on the big no, we, I mean, when we put together a card, um, we normally will put one unit spread some kind of way on outright winners. So if we have two guys, it'll be like a half and a half or whatever. Yeah. And then we'll have like uh, probably two units on top five bets separated you know whatever way we want and then top tens as well but then the head-to-heads is like the meat and potatoes of the card uh that's where we had the most success last year i think um last year we we were up 131 units for the season and i think 77 of it was head-to-heads so um we we do try and exploit those um because number one you know you can be right on like a win wager and something goes wrong and the guy finishes second and then you don't yeah. get paid for, for picking out a dude that had an awesome day yeah. with a head to head, you know, it's, it's one or the other. So um, it's a coin flip, but you know, we can find these edges to maybe get a, a 60% clip or 59% clip. And then, you know, then we're padding the bankroll. So um, you, you, you want to make your hay on the head to heads and you hope to hit the props to just, you know, add the dressing. Yeah, absolutely. And the outrights, obviously, if you hit one icing on the cake, the week's made. But yeah, that, yeah. that's that's really well said. I, I've I've talked to a lot of people that that do this uh, a lot more seriously than I do, as far as golf or, or NASCAR, and that seems to be the common thread. You know, like you you really hammer down on, on things you can exploit, like matchups, golf, like top 40s, top 20s, and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely something we're trying to incorporate. I I myself am a sucker for just like just just hitting like six outright bets and just hoping one of them just hits, but uh yeah well said about the the process week in week out because um yeah i think matchups like to your point i mean you can get something a guy can play really well or a guy can guy can have the perfect race and some one thing goes wrong and your outright tickets uh you know toward a shred so um yeah 
really good insight there and something that me and Chris always try to struggle with week to week because it's tempting just to, you know, like instead of betting this head to head, let's just throw another bet on it outright at 20 to one, you know, but yeah, as far as like sustainable growth, I know, um, you know, hitting outrights is hard in general. So yeah, I mean, rock. And it's kind of like risk tolerance. So if you're, you're the kind of guy that, um, doesn't mind having six outrights and you don't mind going over six. Right. I mean, that's cool. Um, but like, since we're somewhat public now, you gotta have some wins. So we, uh, we can at least be like, Hey, put some head to heads on the card. Yeah. It's like, Hey man, you know, we went, you know, six and three and head to heads. There you go. There's, there's your, your silver lining. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said, man. That's well said. And and to your point, I think, I think, um, yeah, I mean, having this knowledge, I mean, cause, I mean, cause you, you guys, all, all three of y'all follow NASCAR very heavily week in, week out. You guys know the deal with, with a lot of these teams. And for me, I, I follow golf week in, week out. So I I do feel like I've got maybe a better a better read on guys further down the board. You know, guys that are 100, 200 to 1, maybe they don't have a great chance of winning, but guys that I feel like are playing well. Um, so, you know, when they're matched up, against a guy that I feel like is not playing well, like books don't tend to, you know, pay as much attention to the guys that are finishing T40 every single week. You For know, sure. At the guys at the top, they don't want to get got by a guy that wins the tournament and they're having to pay out 20 to one on a guy mm-hmm. that went 25 to one. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just more verbiage to say, I, I agree with you as far as that goes. It's, um, but you know, it's, it's fun to hit the outright, so you know. I'm, I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming you were following the Corrales last week and Ben Martin. Oh. Well, I don't know what Ben Martin's number was, but that was a long shot. Yeah. That been, and that's the thing about golf is like I love it because it's. It, I mean, we've had a 250 to one winner this year. We've had, even like the favorites are 20 to one, 25 to one, 30 to one. I mean, you can get some really good golfers every week. So I I, I try not to draw too many parallels with NASCAR and golf, but it does feel like, you know, the long shots are more in play, particularly a week like this week when we get to Valero, um, the week before a major where some of the favorites might be looking ahead to a certain event next week. Um, so yeah, the, the temptation is always there to be like, yeah, this guy could, this guy can win at a hundred to one. So why not put a, put a few dollars on it? But, um, yeah, Ben Martin, to your point, I mean, the, the winner, Chad Ramey was 50 to one and he was really well supported. Um, I don't oh. even know who Ben Martin is. So whew, might, yeah. might've been, yeah. I think the bottom line is the sports are very different, but the process of getting to your selections are the same. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you got a story. You yeah. got to have a story that the guy can the guy can get it done right. So uh, whatever it takes that week, and you know, you just hope you're right. You you dig yourself in and see what happens. All right. Well, you guys have been very generous with your time, so I hate to I hate to keep you guys too much longer. But I guess since we're on the golf talk, do you guys want to close out with any? I guess any closing Richmond thoughts or any closing golf thoughts for Ian? Do you have a favorite golfer you guys latch on to or anything like that? Let's say Masters thoughts. Let's get to Masters thoughts. Okay, Masters. They want to talk about Valero. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I like I like Brooks just because I, I I just I think he's uh yeah man I, I I love the way he handles himself. I don't know like, if it's a sh- yeah I don't know if it's a shtick or if that's you know the way he really is, but I yeah. love it. I mean he's he's cocky as hell and. Yeah. uh if, you know, it's like if you're going to win today, you're going to have to take it from me. And I I, I love that. Um, so I gravitate, to, you know, towards uh, Brooks. I, I like Jordan Spieth, too, because he's just, you know, he's a likable dude. Yeah. Um, but if Tiger's in the field, I'm rooting for Tiger. So 
but I don't have any like insight. I'm not like a golf gambler, except whatever you say, Ian, and whatever Steve puts me on. But that's that's the extent of my golfing uh, betting. I'm actually, I'm actually blown away by the Masters odds. I didn't know Tiger Woods was 50 to one. Yeah, don't bet that. <laughs> yeah, no. that seems that seems short. <laughs> that that, that seems that, really short. Yeah. I've I've seen a hundred and like a hundred hundred twenty fives on some books that I'm I've had, and like it just feels like the biggest sucker bet of all time. But like fuck it, I've had a good like month, so like why not put ten bucks on Tiger to win the Masters? Um, but yeah, we need confirmations in the field first because if you guys don't know, <laughs> yeah. it's action. If you bet futures bets, the any time before the week of the tournament, they're voided. They're they're law. The greatest losses, even if the guys just play. Yeah, their action. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like betting on a presidential election, like betting on Kanye West to win the presidential election. Even if he doesn't get the nominee, it's still a lost bet, even if uh, he doesn't appear on the official ticket. So something to be aware of. So I'm I'm still waiting on confirmation. If Tiger Woods is in the field, I'll, I'll probably will just put the sucker 10 bucks on. Just donate to the sports book. Why not? I get to watch Tiger for, for two days at least. To compare this, I mean, you have Taylor Gucci 130 to one compared to Tiger's 50 to one. I mean, just think about that for a second. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think Tiger has a better chance than Taylor Gucci to win the Masters. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> Do you? I, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't take a head-to-head Tiger versus Taylor Gucci, but to win, like, yeah, I, I think Tiger could win more more often than Taylor Gucci could win. It's a great not name. So, it's a good bet, but great name, Taylor Gucci. Yeah, it's spelled. We've already been over this a few times, but it's spelled T A L O R. By the way, just yeah. think, just think on that one for it. Yeah, <laughs> come on, mom. You know, <laughs> figure out a birth certificate, <laughs> will you? Jeez, but yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I can't wait to to you know listen to what you have to say about the uh, the Masters and and this week at Valero because I like betting on golf. I, I you know I, I love uh, having action daytime. You know Thursday morning. That's that's pretty dope. Um, but you know, it's all just blind, blind tailing. For me, this is my first time actually going up and down the board. Uh, Louis Uthsaisen is forty-five to one on DraftKings. I don't know what the competing numbers are there, but that's. It seems like when a major, any major comes up, Louis is pretty much an auto bet, no matter which tournament it is. So as long as you, yeah, as long as you keep uh, some money on the side to hedge when he finishes the second. Who will? Um, Who's the defending champion that's in jail? I, I saw like, Pereira. yeah, what, what'd that guy do? I have no, I have no idea. I'll be all honest. right. All right. Just know that he's like, I think he still gets included on list of like players that are not in the field and like they yeah. don't look the reason, but yeah, he's in jail. Like, yeah, uh, it's I'm like, just, we'll I mean, see in three years or whatever. I, I saw on Twitter. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. I think he, he actually, he actually beat Adam Scott one year when I was like a really big Adam Scott fan. And he beat him in a playoff, and I was like, I was really sad. So yeah, Adam Scott always wore cool Oakleys. That that yeah yeah that that guy uh, he had cool sunglasses. Now he just wears like the same color sweater every single day and like pleated plaid and pleated slacks. So it's, it's yeah. the slacks, it's the pleats, yeah. it's the pleats. But uh, yeah. he'll yeah. be on the Masters card. Uh, I, I will I will give it to Steve. Do you do you have a Masters pick? Do you have someone that you're looking at? Obviously, it doesn't have to be a. I mean, it's it's an awful time to bet Masters futures right now because everyone's like twenty to one or, or lower. But mm-hmm. uh, kind of who's your who's your horse right now, leaving the clubhouse going into next Thursday? Um, like I said, I, I this is my first time looking at the board, so I guess you did. Have to be 
it had to be that'd be Louie, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I know the uh, I know, like you said, that second place is always uh, out there in the open, but the number just feels too long. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, bud. I think it might get longer. He's not exactly been playing all that well over the last month or so, and like there's always a narrative Louie still has not won in the continental U.S. yet, despite the fact he's like 40 years old. So. Uh, I think you could find a 50 or 60 if you're really in on Louis. I think, I mean, I think he's got obviously got the skill set to win at Augusta. He's, he's had some high finishes here in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see a 50, 55, 60 come uh, this time next week for sure. If you're a big Louis guy, which I love Louis, but betting to win golf tournaments, I've, I've done enough times to <laughs> kind of sour myself on it. So. I said that about Ross Chastain once upon a time. There you go. Yeah, you gotta you gotta I keep think, at it, right? And I think Chris is gonna be saying that again about Matty D for a long time. <laughs> mm. Oof. 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 I remember we bet about Daytona the first race and like he never he never even got into the top thirty. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he finished top ten. I was like, that's good, so we can keep fading him, you know? It, <laughs> yeah, if he if he just stays somewhat relevant, we can keep betting against him. That's that's fine with me. Atlanta had to be a tough race too. Then I think wasn't it turn one that he just kind of fenced it. <laughs> yeah, just sailed it right into the wall. Yeah, like, yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't figure out why he doesn't have a cup ride. Anybody? You're talking to the wrong people. <laughs> We're on stinks. your side. <laughs> he stinks. But. Hey, I will say, I will say, could it, could do you really think it would be much worse than Harrison Burton's been right now? Though I mean, <sighs> come on, it's been pretty bad. <laughs> I think he he leads the league in being upside down. <laughs> Valid point. I mean, look look at the NASCAR crowd right now. All the guys having success are young, for the for the most part. Mm-hmm. And Harrison Burton hasn't really fit that category yet. And I'm not sure what's going on over there. He should be able to figure this car out, just like everybody else that's you know his age. It's be a, yeah to be a fourth Penske car and to be that far off. It doesn't. Right. It just doesn't check out. I totally agree. I, I've been on him a couple of times in DFS just because I think like his practices seem to be decent. I thought he shows decent speeds according to the practice data, but just hasn't really been there in the race. Agreed. All right, boys. Well, I appreciate you guys' time. I appreciate Thanks you guys for being on here. Uh, appreciate anything, you. anything you guys want to want to plug before you before you leave? I know the the Twitter page is is at Speedway Steve Two, correct? Yeah, that that's it. And um, we put out some some cool articles for you know odds checker and four for four, and uh, so give them a read. I, I try and keep it light and tell some bad jokes and uh, just check us out at Speedway Steve too. Cool, there it is. Well, we appreciate it, guys, and uh, well, obviously we'll we'll be in touch all season in this community, and then uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you guys at Bristol Night Race, right? Yes, sir. I'm buying tickets now. <laughs> Hopefully so. All right. Well. That's going to do it for the uh, NASCAR section. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back for the golf section. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. And welcome back into the podcast. This is Chris, and joined by Ian for the golf section of the podcast now. We just heard the interview with at Speedway Steve 2 um, for the NASCAR, so I'll be posting my card later on this week. Uh, we kind of heard some of our leans and stuff like that. We want to kind of run through some of that stuff, but I'll be posting my card uh, later on, probably Friday night, Saturday morning, like normal. But so we're going to transition to golf now. But before we do, we want to talk about um, exciting new paid partnership we've got going on here with Thrive Fantasy. So yeah, Thrive Fantasy is a uh, prop fantasy app in the daily sports 
category. They got daily fantasy sports and esports for all kind of player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate countless hours of research and focus on only top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. You can choose 10 of the 20 available player props to build your lineups. Each prop is assigned a fancy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. And if you hit the most props and rack up the most points, you can win a share of the prize pool. So it's very similar to a lot of the other sites out there with the same in the same same category. Uh, but yeah, so Thrive has over $50,000 in guaranteed prizes for traditional sports like NBA and PGA and even the esports um esports range and yet more of that coming soon obviously but yeah ian you want to hit the call to action here yeah absolutely i mean obviously we're gonna go over the lara texas open this week but a big a bigger tournament much bigger tournaments going on next week for the masters so prize uh or for thrive fantasy is actually going to have a twenty thousand dollar guaranteed contest for masters thursday uh it's twenty five dollars entry five thousand dollars to first so a big time prize pool gpp coming up uh big event for the masters obviously we're all excited for that uh coming up next week um, if you do sign up with our promo, promo code FHP, uh, you will receive ten or you will receive two free uh, twenty-five dollar contest tickets. So two free tickets into uh, that twenty thousand dollar guaranteed uh, prize pool um, with our promo code FHP. And if you deposit a hundred dollars, you receive four free tickets uh, into that into that uh, twenty thousand guaranteed GPP. So uh, really really cool uh, kind of promotion they're doing with us. So we're super excited with um, to be partnering with with Thrive. And not only do you get the free tickets, but you also get a deposit match up to $100 if you use our promo code FHP. So uh, you get a lot of free goodies, a lot of, uh, you know, extra bit of sweat maybe for the Masters. I'll be having a segment coming up uh, next week. We're, we're going to be doing a podcast, me and Chris, with uh, our boy Shadow Blaze uh, at Picks by Blaze on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Thrive Fantasy at Thrive Fantasy on Twitter as well. So we're super happy to be uh, to partner with, with uh, Scott and uh, all the guys over at Thrive and uh, hopefully – uh, give an extra couple segments to our to our weekly golf and NASCAR um, podcast and hopefully win you all some money uh, on Masters weekend. So, yeah, we're super excited. We're going to be right there with you all on Thrive. Uh, so we'll probably be some dead money that you can take advantage of. But, um, yeah, it'd be awesome to, to have you all sign up and, and compete with us uh, for, for a lot of guaranteed money on uh, the first major of the year next year in golf or next week in golf. Yeah, so again, you can find these on, it's at Thrive Fantasy. You can also find them Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or the Google Play Store, whichever is your uh, preferred platform. And you also can find them on the web at www.thrivefantasy.com. So sign up, prop up, and come play with us next week for the Masters. Absolutely. So with that being said, we will transition over to the Valero Texas Open. We head to from Austin to San Antonio. We're staying in the Texas Texas region here. So Ian, I'll let you, let's take it over for some of these notes on the Valero Open. Yeah, absolutely. So we are at Valero, obviously. Yeah, we spoiled it with the intro, with the uh, promotion there with Thrive, but it is the Masters next week. So, um, you know, historically, this has not been a um, uh, a popular spot for a lot of the, the world's elite. It's not been the most flashy tournament. Uh, but obviously, you know, if you do hit an out right here, it's, it all plays the same. So we've we've done really really well over the over the past uh, kind of few years. I, we've hit a winner at Bermuda. We've hit a winner kind of in the lead up to uh, the PGA Championship at um, the Byron Nelson last year with KH Lee. We hit outright with Gary Kigo at the Palmetto, leading to the U.S. Open. So, you know, don't just uh, don't just fling Blair to the side. I know it's not I know it's not the, the marquee event that we've had with the players and the Arnold Palmer Invitational and the match play last year with the, or last week with the Masters coming up. I know it's not the sexiest tournament on the schedule, but you know, again, money's money, and you can still hit uh, outrights here. Uh, particularly down the board with a with a long regularity. So we are, like Chris said, we are at TBC San Antonio, the Oaks course here. It's about a 7,500 yard 
par 72 Greg Norman design. Uh, he's designed two courses on the PGA Tour, this and Mayakoba, which Victor Hovland has won back-to-back at. But no Victor Hovland in the field this week, so maybe saving us some money or uh, allowing some other guys to, to have their share. Uh, help with um, – so Norman designed it with a bit of help from hometown boy Sergio Garcia, who's kind of a, an adopted Texan from his uh, home country of Spain. But Sergio did help out with his design. Um, in terms of the kind of past champions here, we've seen a lot of long shots, like I mentioned earlier. So last year, Jordan Spieth did win. He was about 12 or 14 to 1. He won at 18 under over Charlie Hoffman. Uh, 2019, Corey Connors won as a money qualifier at 20 under, also over Charlie Hoffman. Uh, but he was, uh, I believe, 200 to 1 in that uh, event. Angel Landry won in 2018 uh, at 175 to 1. He was uh, 17 under over Trey Mullenix and Sean O'Hare. Two more long shots. Kevin Chappell won in 2017 at 12 under. Uh, Charlie Hoffman won again in 2016, or at least he supplemented his two runner-ups in the last two years with a win in 2016 at minus 12. And Jimmy Walker won at minus 11 over Jordan Spieth in 2015. So you see a lot of variance. Uh, a lot of guys at the top of the board. Obviously, Chapel was a guy that was catching on his team at the time. Hoffman had a lot of good course history uh, in Texas and was a top player in 2016. And then Jimmy Walker as well, PJ champion in 2016, won in this event in 2015. But over the last three years at least, uh, we've seen 175 to one and a 200 to one winner kind of come home. So you can see uh, long shots are, are extremely live here. You see, you know, a classic look at look ahead spot for a lot of guys. We'll mention at the top of the board, uh, your Rory's, your Speeds, your Bryson's. They're looking forward, obviously, to Augusta. So, you know, it's a it's a big it's a big opportunity for a lot of these guys uh, down the board to uh, maybe get their maiden win or get a win that, um, you know, a, a bit of a prudent win here in Valero uh, in San Antonio. So talking about the course here, um, you you kind of heard, I guess, with a lot of the winning scores, they have, have ranged from 11 to 20 under. Um, it's not exactly the typical birdie fest we see in the lead up to a, to a major championships. Obviously, last year, the John Deere Classic, the AT&T Byron Nelson led up to the PGA and the U.S. Open, respectively. Uh, this week, it's it's a little bit difficult, a little more difficult than that. You won't really see scores in like the mid-20s. Again, kind of the, the teens, 15 to 20 is what I expect the winning score to be. But again, tight fairways, some of the hardest fairways to hit on the PGA Tour. Uh, some of the hardest greens to hit as well in the PJ Tour and the deep bunkers make this a pretty stiff test compared to, again, um, a lot of the weaker field birdie fest we see leading up to majors uh, throughout the year. So um, so antithetically to a course like Riviera, I mentioned it was 7,500 yards. Um, TBC, TBC San Antonio isn't really as long or as daunting as the uh, scorecard yardage would indicate. Uh, so 7,500 is pretty pretty long for a PJ Tour stop, but the, large, but the yardage is largely propped up by three of its par fives measuring over 600 yards, and its four par threes measuring all over 185. Uh, the four, the 10 par fours at San Antonio are kind of split, uh, with five measuring in between four, uh, in between 300 and 410, and the other five measuring over 450. So as a result, you kind of have a, a pretty big variety, uh, pretty big even dispersion uh, in terms of approach shots from every range. So wedge shots, short irons, mid irons, long irons, they're all pretty uh, evenly distributed in terms of um, kind of the percentages you're going to have to see. So as a result, um, I'm not really waiting any particular proximity range. I'm looking for more so uh, good overall iron players, <clears throat> um, as well as drivers that aren't too air prone. <clears throat> so there aren't as many water hazards here as we saw a lot in Florida. Uh, but most fairways are aligned with pretty densely thickened native, native areas. Think of um, Austin last week. You know, if you get out of position in Austin, you're chipping out. You're taking penalty shots, uh, similar to Ballast Bar as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, which is, you know, again, a, a course that's typically manageable to play out of the rough. But if you start to miss too waywardly, you're going to be pitching out uh, back in the fairway, just 
pitched out sideways or taken uh, another penalty stroke and retain uh, for three. So again, I'm not really looking for guys that are crazy accurate, but then again, you cannot be missing too wildly. It's not like a just a spray and pray type of course, um, a la you know some of like the 3M opens or the Rocket Mortgage. It's not like that. So it is it is relatively penal off the tee, but again, if you're not like missing wildly, it is manageable with a rough. Um, the greens have also been pretty difficult to hear as a compared to tour average. Uh, they aren't really disproportionately smaller compared to tour average, but they do present a lot of slope and undulation and to kind of run off chipping areas and deep bunkers. So I'll be writing sand saves quite, uh, quite heavily here. These bunkers are among the hardest on tour to get up and down from. Um, but all in all, greens are tough to hit. Uh, fairways are pretty tough to hit, but yeah, I'll, I'll be waiting ball striking kind of primarily. Uh, for, for just that reason, you, you want to hit fairways, you want to hit greens, you don't want to be um, <clears throat> out in the hazards, <clears throat> excuse me, too much, right? So, uh, yeah, so sand saves, uh, good drives gained, stroke shade approach, those will all be key stats for me this week. As far as the greens go, once again, we're looking at champion Renew grass overseeded with a Pova Trivialis. So this is very uh, comparable to the ones we've seen at Sawgrass, at Innisbrook, at Austin Country Club, um, at Phoenix. So I'll be weighing very short-term putting splits because it seems like we're kind of on a run of these kind of Bermuda overseeds with POA uh, over the last month or so. So guys have been putting well over the la- over the short term, I think um, should stand to uh, fare pretty well um, this week as well. So again, key stats, I've got good drives gained, which again is a fancy national proprietary stat. Um, basically, it's a drive that results in a green regulation. So it's kind of both a driving and an iron stat, but all in all, really just kind of pinpoints guys that don't get themselves in too much trouble off the tee. Again, you can you can play out the rough here. The rough isn't all that penal. Uh, but if you're missing 40 yards right or left, you're going to be in the trees and in, in, um, in position to make a pretty big number. Stroke can approach, as usual. Uh, par fives going with it being a par 72. You do want to take advantage of the par fives, uh, all four of them this week. Sand saves. Like I said, these bunkers are pretty cavernous, pretty uh, difficult to get out of. So I do want a guy that when he does get in them, uh, is not completely stumped, la, like a Victor Hovland. And then GRR is gained as well. Uh, this, this course has had a pretty steep correlation to guys that hit the green um, and success here, which is not all the surprising. Obviously, iron play is pretty paramount every single week. But, um, yeah, with these greens being difficult to hit, I do want guys that are above average at, um, you know, maybe not attacking as many pins, but at least finding the safe spot in these greens, make a lot of pars again. This is not a, a course where you have to shoot 65 every single day. I think it's a course where you can kind of – um, you know, stay neutral for a little bit, make sure you don't make any huge mistakes, and then uh, you shoot maybe two or three under every single day. You should have a chance on Sunday for sure. So um, I do kind of want to, before we get into our picks and the uh, betting board, I do kind of want to outline or, yeah, outline the um, the kind of the winners we've seen in recent past, uh, the week before major, because obviously that's one of the bigger talking points this week, who's looking ahead to the Masters, uh, who do you want to support. And so last year we had um, a pretty big... Yeah, we had a pretty big contingency of long shots. A lot of the long shots that we um, kind of saw in the PG Tour last year came the week before Major Cage Lee uh, that me and Chris hit um, at the Byron Nelson before the PGA was at 175 to one. Gary Higo at the Palmetto was 50 or 60 to one. That was another big hit for us uh, the week before the US Open. Lucas Glover was 80 to 100 to one uh, the week before the Open Championship here in uh, in the states. And then in 2020, the week before the Masters, uh, Carlos Ortiz in the fall. Um, won the Houston Open kind of week before the Masters. So, again, the, the defending champion is Jordan Spieth. I guess he would be kind of the outlier in terms of kind of recent past uh, history when it comes to guys that win before the Masters. You don't typically see a lot of the guys that are going to be playing next week contend or, or play well, but Spieth may be a, a bit of a um, 
a different case just because he had a little bit to prove. He had won in uh, a couple of years there, and obviously he uh, he wanted to ramp up a little bit more. He had a bit more added motivation to win. Um, but we've seen guys like Corey Connors, Sung Kang, Dylan Vertali, uh, Michael Kim all win kind of the week before the majors. So just further reiterating, this is a week where I'm going to take a lot of punts down the board. Um, I'm not really going to be all that worried about the chalk because if kind of history has shown us um, – there's, this is the week where, you know, the top of the board is as distracted as ever, as, you know, not as live um, as it's ever been, right? So uh, that will kind of you'll that will kind of be translated when we get to, into my picks and, and the guys that I do like this week and kind of my overarching strategy when it comes to Harvard, right? So uh, that's my kind of my kind of um, overarching overview of uh, TBC San Antonio and the Blair Texas Open. Um, yeah, not not exactly like the most uh, nuanced course or you know, exciting course in the PJ Tour, but uh, like I said, if you if you can strike the ball well, if you can get your driver and irons really well, uh, hit fairways, hit greens, you'll you'll be in, in good shape. We've seen guys like Corey Connors, obviously Jordan Spieth, Andrew Landry, Kevin Chappell, all really good ball strikers. Charlie Hoffman went here as well. Uh, so we do have we do kind of see like that, you know, preeminent ball striker that sometimes struggles in the plastic. Um, that's been kind of the profile we've seen over the last few years in terms of champions here at San Antonio. Yeah, so even though you're you're downplaying the excitement for this tournament, you also just named two of the five of our biggest hits have been the week before a major. So if there's any yeah. week to be excited, I mean, hey, we've we've apparently got a good track record at these these events right before a big big event. So oh, yeah. hey, let's keep the keep the excitement up. Absolutely. I mean, if if I have an MO, it's literally winning like the Byron Nelson and then blowing it all the next <laughs> week at the PJ Championship. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we've had we've had good success. Like, uh, yeah. I, it's hard to like, I mean, it's hard for even me to like not be so excited for the, the stuff, the content we have coming up for the Masters and obviously, you know, the mystique that Augusta National brings. But yeah, I mean, like I said, the, at the kind of the outset here, I mean, it's you hit a you hit a 20 to one winner here versus a 21 to Masters. It, it pays the exact same. Right. So it's it's kind of I know everyone wants that sweat on Sunday at Augusta, but uh, not only does this pay out the same, but we've seen track records of guys hitting at long odds here. So it's, it's even more exciting that you can maybe spread a little bit down the board and, and maybe hit that big trouble number before, uh, you know, going to Augusta and, and having the, the full uh, field available to you uh, next week. Yeah. So I guess with that being said, we'll, we'll head over to the odds board and I want to start out with obviously the guy at the very top. So full disclosure, you threw a fun little parlay in our group chat this week. Um, so I don't know if right. you want to talk about that at all, but you did have some concern that Rory's just going to come out here and absolutely just obliterate the field. So with that, you took a plus 800. You parlayed it with, I don't know what his masters are. Is 13, is that you said? 14, yeah. 14. And then we got so what got a nice, like, what, 127 to 1 odds or whatever. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I guess what are your thoughts on, on Rory overall? Are you really that afraid that it could just be off or not this week? Yeah, I mean, I am afraid. I mean, Rory, he profiles so well for this course. There's very few courses Rory doesn't really profile that well for. Uh, but when you look at his ball striking numbers, when you look at his short game numbers, Rory's kind of turned into like a very all-around good player. Uh, the, the approach play hasn't really been there um, in in terms of like when we've seen vintage Rory just hitting everything to four feet. But the putter has really improved. The short game has really, really improved as well. And so at a place like this where – You've got to hit fairways. You can't be too weird off the tee. You've got to hit approaches on a really difficult hit greens, and you've got to get up and down when you can. Um, he is top 30 in sand saves for me. He's fifth off the tee. He's eighth around the greens. Um, number three on par five scoring. Um, number four in opportunities gained. So 
yeah, Rory checks every box. So for me, I was looking at this board. He's the only guy at the top I'm really worried about. And to Chris's point, I made the decision. I was like, okay, I'm probably not betting Rory the matches at 14 to one or whatever he ends up at. So let's just hedge a little bit. So I've got the eight to one, the 14 to one. It's parlayed together at about 135 to one. We put a unit on it. So if Rory does win, yeah, our card goes up in the smoke. The one that you see on Twitter, our card does go up uh, a little bit in flames. We lose the, the units there, but uh, we will have a kind of a free roll there on Rory. So uh, that was a kind of a fun little bet I found. Uh, I know I, I kind of piggybacked it off of Pat Mayo and Jeff Feinberg. So not taking credit for this by any means. But yeah, uh, if, if I were to kind of make a pick, uh, kind of sub 20 to 1, I, I guess it would have to be Rory. Uh, Jordan's really, really struggled, it looks like, with a swing. I'd be interested to see what his Masters odds end up at, considering he's not really played well. He had he had the one spike at Pebble Beach. Um, but, yeah, it does not feel like he's feeling all that confident with the golf swing heading into Augusta. Uh, Connors, obviously, 18 to 1. Like, I love Corey Connors, but I'm not betting him 18 to 1 anywhere, uh, despite the fact he's a former champion here. Uh, answer, 20 to 1. Kind of the similar thing to the Connors and the Hideki. Um, obviously, come with the injury. It's kind of tough to back him at, the, at these short numbers, so. Yeah, Rory's the guy I like it at eight to one. If you want to, obviously on DraftKings or or maybe some kind of prop bet, I'd be interested in Rory and and all those measures. The only, I guess, the only distraction would be the fact that I, last I checked, he's still not at San Antonio, which is a little bit worrying. I think he's actually playing a practice round with Tiger today, um, which is which is pretty funny considering I guess that just shows how little the the guys at the top of the board take this uh, tournament seriously. But um, yeah, I, I'm still like if Rory shows up and plays how he's been playing over the last few months, uh, I think he'll be right there in the mix. So at least we'll have a little bit of a, a fun sweat there uh, for a free roll to Gus if he were to come through. Yeah. So, and I guess the only name that really caught my eye in that, that top five or top six was, was Abe answer. Cause he did have a pretty good match play week. Did he not? Oh yeah. He broke my heart. <laughs> that, that Saturday morning was not fun watching answer just drain every putt of her Colin. And um, obviously, you know, we talked to us, uh, Steve this morning about, kind of our, our own homer picks speedway steve uh, or phil from speedway steve has uh chastain is near near and dear to his heart obviously you know about our affinity from reddick and, and chris's affinity for uh de benedetto in the truck series i always have a bit of a foam bet on colin just full disclosure so if colin ever wins the tournament I'm, I'm feeling pretty good no matter what but yeah that was a that was a absolute um ass whooping i wanted to keep it pg but yeah that was pretty bad uh colin didn't play well by any means but abe just abe poured it on so uh, yeah, I, I think uh, he's a guy that could certainly win here. He's a he's a Texas resident. He obviously I think he was born in Texas, um, has dual citizenship between here and Mexico. So he does represent Mexico on an international stage. But yeah, he's a guy that hits a ton of fairways, can get super hot with the irons and, and super hot with the putter. Um, the only concern for me with the answer is that around the green game is still pretty poor. Um, and when he does miss greens, I don't really expect him. Uh, to get up and down at the, at the rate that would be required here, especially at this price at 20 to one. He's a guy that I was, I'm always a little bit finicky as far as his win equity goes. So he'll be off my card. I, I, I've seen some smart people on him and uh, for decent reasons as well. So if, if you do want to do want to play answer as far as DFS goes or to lead your card at 20 to one, I have nothing wrong with it. But um, this is a week for me. We mentioned earlier, um, I am going to stick kind of further down the board, stick to some long shots and see if we can see if we can spike a big one. Yeah. So in that 30 to 50 range, um, we actually do have three guys that we have tallied out here. Uh, but I'll go ahead and read off the full list. And I guess I'll, really, I'll take the start at 28 since we haven't touched on this guy yet. we got Chris Kirk at 28 to 1, Gary Woodland at 20, Tony Finau at 30, which is a big mover compared to what we have on our card. Uh, Matt McNeely at 33, Siwoo at 33, Adam Hadwin at 40, 
Jason Day at 40, Keegan Bradley at 40, Ricky Fowler at 445, and then uh, Charlie Hoffman 50, Davis Riley 50, Jay Vegas 50. So, oh, actually, a ton more names at 50. So I can keep going, but I've already named three names on the card um, at very different prices from what we have them. So I'll let you talk on who those three guys are. We did miss we did miss a certain guy at 25. Uh, Bryson Shambo is 25 to one. I've seen oh, him as high as 28 to 30. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty enticing. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, Bryson Taylor May, I mean, like on paper, should be Taylor May for this course. It seems like a course he can kind of just bomb and gouge. Um, I mean, but if you watch the match play, he was hitting it all over the place. And I feel like if he starts getting super away with the driver, we've talked about kind of the dense tree lines, uh, fairways this place has. Like, I would take the over under at like lost balls for Bryson in rounds like one and two. So like I would I would just take the over no matter what the number is. Like I I think he's just super super erratic off the tee right now. Um he's already talked about the hand injury that he's kind of nursing right now. So for me it's kind of a get right spot for Bryson. I understand punting on the upside at 25 to one or 28 to one or whatever the number is, but uh, I will not be there. I will be on Gary Woodland instead. Uh so Woodland's a guy that again kind of going into the season I was super high on. Uh, a guy that I feel like could really rebound. He's again, he's a world-class player. He's a former top 10, 15 player in the world, a U.S. Open champion, and we're getting him again. We're getting him a good form in a field like this at 33 to one. That's the that's the guy that's leading my card um, officially this week. Uh, but yeah, we've seen him all throughout Florida. Kind of played super super well. Had back-to-back top fives at the Honda and the Arnold Palmer, uh, and then missed the cut of the players. Again, that's always kind of a a tournament you can kind of throw out the window. It's super variant, but then comes back to the Valspar, gains 4.5 strokes in approach, uh, finishes 21st. He's number one uh, for me this week in terms of short-term iron play that he's had. He's really been striping the irons really, really well. Kind of getting back to what we know Gary Woodley can do. Obviously, always eats the par fives with his distances iron play. Um, and he finished sixth here last year. So Woodland's a guy that I really, really like. Uh, I really, full disclosure, wasn't anticipating going kind of this far up the board. I, I kind of wanted to play a lot of guys from 50 to like 200 to one and just kind of like take my chances with long shots. But if I do have a favorite uh, underneath 50 to one, yeah, it's, it's Gary at 33 and um, I'm super bullish on him. So yeah, Woodland at 33 is my bet. Cool deal. Yeah. I was excited to see that one. Cause you know, we have our fancy, uh, fancy golf league and I, I snagged him, but the guy I dropped was Jay Vegas. So who you're in on at 50 to one. So that was, that was kind of interesting that to see that when you pushed your card, I was like, well, I picked up one, but dropped one of the guys on our card. Correct. Um, so, I, I picked him up pretty much right away. So, uh, yeah, Vegas is a guy we wrote a lot last summer. Uh, he, he had kind of back to back or, he had a really, really nice stretch of form there in, in kind of the late summer leading up actually into the U.S. Open. Finished second at the Palmetto last year, 11th at the John Deere, second at the 3M Open. Um, and we're starting to kind of see that ball striking come back for Vegas. So he finished 27th at the Valspar, gained 6.2 strokes ball striking, um, gained 11.1 um, strokes total last week at Corrales. Also of note, he was actually at the, at the bad end of the wind draw last week at Corrales and he still ended up finishing fourth. He's just a guy that I really – I think he's playing – like, he's been playing super well for a long time. I think he's kind of due for a win. And with this ball striking number, I really like his driver off the tee here. I really like his par five scoring. Uh, his mid-iron play is phenomenal as well. He does have a bit of Achilles heel with the around the green play and the sand saves, which worries me. Um, but at 50-1, to 1, I think he's super, super live here. And a guy that is kind of like – yeah, I mean, he's exactly in the mold of a Landry or Connors where he strikes the ball super well. He's going to give himself a lot of birdie looks and – uh, he'll be super dangerous here uh, at Valera. So at 50 to one, he was kind of a guy I was always looking at um, kind of throughout the week and finding the 50 here, especially when when you look at guys half his number like Kirk and 
um, McNeely and, and Siwoo and all them. Like, I like those guys, but I'll take the guy that's in form and, and striking those shit out of the ball right now uh, in Vegas at 50. Yep. And then the biggest mover I'm seeing, at least from I'm trying to pull up some other books right now, but we have a 50 to 1 on the book that we're looking at in front of us. He's shown at 30 to 1. Looks like DraftKings has it 40. And yeah. I'm trying to pull up FanDuel, but I'll let you reveal who that who that guy is. Yeah, so hunky Tony Finau is going to be our bet at 50 to 1 uh, to quote Seinfeld. Yeah, it's not a surprise he's gaining steam. I, I saw him kind of all over Twitter on Monday morning. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Tony's a guy that has been a mainstay in the top 20 of the world rankings for years now. Uh, kind of got the monkey on his back there uh, last fall in the first playoff event at the uh, Northern Trust. Won uh, in a playoff over Cam Smith, friend of the pod. Um, but yeah, now we find him at 50 to 1. He's not exactly had the best uh, run of form here in 2022. But he has shown a bit of life with the ball striking. It's really been the putter that's held him back a lot kind of this year so far. And... Yeah, I mean, the ball struck has been phenomenal. He's never he's never um, just going back to kind of his recent history here. He's never gained uh, less than. Oh, sorry. He's never gained less than one stroke T to green here. He has a third place finish here as well in the past. Um, and this is just strictly a numbers play. If you give me Tony Fina at 50 to one in a field like this, hell, he's like he's probably going to be about the same 50 or 60 to one to win the match next week. So. Yeah, I'm going to add Tony to the card. He's got the distance. He's got the par five scoring. His ball strikes have been good. And and we saw last week um, at the match play, he kind of buried our Xander ticket there on that Friday morning, making nine birdies and 16 holes to to take out Shopley. So, look, when I see life from Finau and we're getting a number like this, like it's just kind of automatic. I'm going to click the button. Um, yeah, could he miss the cut again? And and then, you know, we're off him again for another couple of months till we see his life? Sure, but... Um, at 50 to one in the field like this, like I said, like Keegan Bradley's half his number, you know, so I'm, I'm more than happy to go into the well with a guy that's proven, uh, that he, he can tend on the biggest stages and, um, we'll see if he can maybe ramp it up a little bit for the matches this, uh, upcoming week. So yeah, I, I love Phenol 50 here. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my middle of the board take for this week. What number would you be willing to bet him up to? So like, He's looking at like 36 on FanDuel. He's on 30 of the book we're looking at right in front of us. So are you avoiding him at that number? Or like, I don't know, what, what is that cutoff for you? Yeah, I mean, 40 is probably the cutoff, I'll be honest. Um, because once you get into like the 30 and like the 25, 30, 35 range, you're starting to see guys that are playing a lot better than him right now. So it's very easy to make the click at 50 to 1 uh, or 45 to 1 because like you just bank on the upside. But um yeah, when you start to have him next to guys like Hadwin, who rates out really well for me this week, Chris Kirk, who rates out really well. Um, now, they both kind of assume suffer from the same problem, where they don't really win as much as, like, you know, they don't win enough to where you want to bet him at 28 or 35 to 1 or whatnot. But um, certainly, like, I'm not I'm not all in on Fiena to the point to where I'm picking on these guys in head-to-heads. I'm not, like, overweight on him at DraftKings or anything like that. But uh, from a pure upside perspective, yeah, 40, 45 to 1, I'd, I'd be comfortable clicking that button for sure. Good deal. All right, yeah. so then now we got some real deep cuts here. Uh, we go way down the board, um, but some of these numbers have also moved. But we've got a guy at 80, a guy at 110, and a guy at 115, but they're familiar names. Uh, so yeah. we've got, you know, Mito Pereira, Rasmus Hogarth, and Robbie McIntyre. Uh, so tell us a little bit what you like about those three guys. Well, we, we, we joke about the Colin Morikawa, like how many times <laughs> I've had the Colin Morikawa spiel on here. I mean, I, I'd love to know the kind of Mito Pereira spiels I've had. Uh, in the six months we've done this podcast, but I'm just going to remain bullish on Mito, man. Like we're getting fair numbers and 
Yeah, we saw him compete a lot last, kind of like last late summer into the fall, kind of the 3M Olympics into like the FedEx Cup playoffs or I guess post FedEx Cup, FedEx Cup playoffs events. Um, he was struck the ball as well as anyone on earth, and it seems like he's kind of coming back to the meter we know and love. Uh, over his last three events, he's gained off the tee and on approach in all three of them. Uh, gained a whopping 6.7 strokes ball striking at the Valspar finish, 27th. Actually gained strokes on the greens as well. It was kind of the around the green game that uh, that kind of hindered him there. It's kind of weird with Mito. He's It seems like he always does something great, but there's always something that's kind of holding him back. And so when I see a profile like that on a guy that's won three times in the Corn Ferry Tour, he was the Corn Ferry player of the year. He won the Battleground promotion to get to the PGA Tour. There's no doubt that I think he can win on the PGA Tour. And we're seeing all the signs. Like, he he kind of went through a two-month span of being a, a immaculate ball striker, went through about a month span of being a great putter, and now he's kind of back doing the ball striking thing. He kind of forgot how to putt a little bit. So I'm just going to remain, like, if you're going to give me 80-1 to one in a field like this, um, like, I'm just, I think it's a perfect spot for him to break out. I think this course, this course fits his game. And when you think about, like, the last two weeks, a guy like Davis Riley – uh, a guy like Trad Ramey, two guys on the Corn Ferry who are right along with so Riley gets in a playoff with Sam Burns and barely loses, and then uh, Ramey wins in Punta Cana last week. So I think that gives him a lot of motivation. Um, he's a guy that, again, I, he's got the winning pedigree. He's The numbers look great for me to know. So I'm going to continue to be bullish. I'm not picking him to be like, you know, a top 10 player in the world or anything like that, but he can certainly win the Blair Texas Open uh, in 80 to 1. Why not take a punt? So uh, for me, Mito is, is my guy. Uh, um, ones a little bit tougher to swallow. I'll, I will be honest, especially guys like Luke List, and, uh, you know, some mentioned earlier like Vegas and and, and Finau, But yeah, at eighty to one, I think it's a no-brainer call. Uh, you get to the kind of the two euros you mentioned earlier. Uh, I've got them both at triple digits. McIntyre's at one fifteen. Um, Hoygaard is at one hundred. Um, we'll start with Hoygaard, I guess, the guy that, or at one ten for me. Uh, but Hoygaard, uh, for me, is a guy. He's twenty-one years old. Danish sensation. If you uh, don't really pay much attention to the territory. You probably won't know that much about him, but uh, he's a guy that has three wins before he's 21 years old. He has a twin brother, Nikolai. It's also taken this tour by storm. Um, but Hoygaard won the Omega uh, British Masters last year. Um, one of his biggest ones of his career last summer. Kind of went through a bit of a, a lull in the fall, but it does feel like he's kind of picking him back up here uh, to start the year. In his last five starts worldwide, uh, he's made all five cuts. He has three top 20s. Uh, finished solo six last year at Kraus Punta Cana, uh, again, 10.1 strokes total. And he's gained T to green in uh, five straight starts as well. So uh, the ball strike has been there. He's gained 3.1 on approach, 2.6 on approach, 4.8 on approach as well in his last three starts. Um, and again, like we, we kind of mentioned him with Nikolai at the Honda, like whenever I get a guy in triple digits that has this kind of winning pedigree and is striking the ball as well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of ride with it, especially when you talk about uh, his pedigree on the European Tour. He has proficiency in the wind at more difficult golf courses. I think that'll be really valuable this week, especially you know Texas. You get into wind, um, you get into windy conditions, you get into difficult conditions. I think he can, he's more than capable of, uh, of handling that. He's also uh, been top 20 in sand saves in uh, each of his last two starts on the European Tour as well. So the bunker play kind of takes care of itself there and. Yeah, at 110 to one, I think why not take a punt on just the pure talent of a guy that I think uh, a lot of Europeans are touting to be kind of the future of their of the Ryder Cup team kind of going forward. So he's kind of one of those guys that's, um, yeah, a lot of guys are banking on uh, on that European uh, in that European camp to 
to carry that team going forward. And then we get to a guy, another guy, Robert McIntyre, the Scots. Uh, you speak about wind play. You speak about difficult conditions. I mean, he was born in Scotland. He, he loves the winning conditions, even in a small sample size on the PJ Tour. He's been one of the best wind players uh, over the course of this uh, kind of last couple of years he's had on the PJ Tour in spot starts. Um, he's finished eighth at the Open. He's finished 12th at the Masters last year, 15th at the Genesis, 15th at the WGC, WGC St. Jude. So in kind of limited starts, really good fields. He's he's really uh, performed, stacked a couple more top 15s there in Europe, and then um, took out a pretty dangerous player in Sergio Garcia, the hometown kid uh, in Austin, kind of knocked him out of match play last week, um, last week and, and paid the way for Colin to win that group. Um, and yeah, and actually contested Colin until the very end on day one. So 115 to one. I just think uh, the town's there. Similar to him and Hoygaard, like, yeah, things go really awry for them, but um, if they play their A game, they've proven, they've both proven they can win um, at a young age on a grown-up tour. So um, for me, yeah, this is exactly the type of bet I want to make this week. Just bank on the talents, uh, triple-digit odds, and just uh, let it ride with two guys that I have really high hopes for going forward. So... Quick, uh, quick little, um, I'm gonna hit you a little unprepared here, but yeah. to go back to Mito for real quick. Yeah. Who's, who's, I guess, really the last guy that you can think of that really dominated the Corn Fairy and then made is now like maybe a predominant guy in in the PGA world, but and I guess and how long did it take him to get to that that point? Does yeah. That sense? Does that make um, sense what I'm asking? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, two. The what 2017 and 2018 Corn Fairy Players of the Year. Mito was a 2020 Player of the Year on the Corn Fairy Tour. 2017 was Scotty Scheffler, okay. number one player in the world. 2018 Player of the Year was Sung JM. So and he's won twice on the PGA Tour. So we have seen a, a pretty big time track record. I think it's. I mean the Corn Fairy kind of gets dogged on because, um, you know you do you do tend to see a lot of kind of has beens on the PGA Tour guys that have lost their cards and have went on to the Corn Fairy Tours in the Sesti. But you know you see these young kids come up and and um dominate this tour uh it, it does it does give them a big time proving ground you know guys that's going up against professionals being a professional golfer and for him to win for Mito in particular to win three times in that year i think says a lot about his, his kind of pedigree his medal um his win equity as well so yeah i mean i'm not like i said i mean scheffler and sung jay i mean it's a it's a long yeah. way to get to those kind of those kind of names uh we didn't even talk about you know the, the match play last week and scheffler getting number one in the world but um yeah, I think, yeah, I think Mito certainly has has gained a lot from kind of experience there. And like I said, if you give me eighty to one, like I think he he's gonna win eventually. Like it, the numbers just look too good for me. Um, and maybe that changes in the next couple of months. But you know, as long as he's riding hot with the irons and the driver, I'm willing to kind of wait for the putter to come along at least in the meantime. So yeah, super excited about that bet. I was I was actually really surprised he was at eighty this week. Uh, and it's kind of been proven maybe to be a wrong number considering how quickly the books, the books have moved uh, up the board to 40 and 50 to one. Yeah. And then I guess before we close out, you've got currently only 11 and a half units invested. So we potentially have three and a half units left. So are you looking to go back up the board or are you going to maybe save for some live ads or are we just kicking it with the 11 and a half this week and saving for the masters? Uh, yeah. I mean, ideally we just have the uh, one through six players on Thursday and we just have a nice sweat three winner <laughs> heading into uh heading to Augusta. But yeah, I mean, Certainly. You guys know, I mean, my, my weekly allocation is usually like 15 to 18 to one, or I'm sorry, 15 to 18 units per week. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's room for maybe a guy in the thirties or maybe just scattershot a little bit down the board. Um, full disclosure, I really wanted to bet Doug Gim this week. He was a hundred to one for a long time. 
Uh, he has since fallen to 66, which is a bit tougher to swallow. But I will be keeping my eyes on on Gim this week. He's a guy, obviously, last time we saw him finish T10 in the players. Ball struck the shit out of the ball and actually was one of the top players T to green here last year at this very tournament. So uh, Gim's a guy I really had circled. Kazire's a guy at 50-1 to 1 right now that uh, has a really good Texas track record of striking the ball greats. Um, KH Lee, whenever you go to a TPC course, you know, you got to gotta look out for KH there. Uh, Smalley was a guy that's, you know, been a really, really good iron player over the course of his career. Uh, his young career coming out of Duke and then finished runner up last week. Corrales carrying some good form. Lahiri was a top 10 guy or top five guy last week, or I'm sorry, top, top five guy at, uh, Valero last year. And then obviously had the players, uh, uh, success in his last starts. Um, Martin Laird, another great win player, great iron player. Uh, keeps the ball in trouble, hits his irons well. If, can, if he can make some putts, certainly he's capable of winning this event. Um, and then maybe, you know, guys like Minwoo Lee and Aaron Rye, you know, guys that, again, just like Hoygaard, just like McIntyre, have come over from Europe, have had a lot of success over in Europe. Um, Minwoo kind of flashed a little bit in a couple matches last week at match play. Aaron Rye flashed kind of earlier in the season at uh, in the West Coast swing. It's, um, I'm trying to think, uh, Torrey Pines was when kind of he was in the final group there with J.D. and Zalatoris. So, yeah, names that I think of have kind of been a little bit discounted. Those are kind of the guys I'm looking at. Certainly a few more, but um, yeah, I mean, you know me. I'll, I'll have probably Thursday. I, I think I have Thursday morning off from work right now as it stands. So uh, I'll be certainly monitoring the odds board and, um, yeah, trying to find that Lucas Herbert 175 that we were able to find over the fall for sure. Because I think this, if there's ever a tournament to do it, I think a tournament like this, like Valero or um, one of these terms leading into the majors. We, we've talked about it a couple of times now. But, yeah, if you're ever going to hit an outright winner, it feels like this is the kind of field where you're going to get it done. There's a there's a certain there's a certain Italian in the field at 200 to one that's I see a half unit coming his way. <laughs> oh God, I I had a feeling we might bring up Guido. Yeah, he was. He's, I'm surprised he's 200. So it means he's getting some steam. He opened at 300 to one. Uh, full disclosure. He's really ass, dude. He's playing so oh, bad. It's great. It's funny because he actually has. I think he's actually in the Masters next week because he finished T5 at the U.S. Open last year. So we're gonna see Guido next week. He'll probably like legit be like. A thousand to one, so maybe Chris puts like a a quarter on that just to just to have some Italian representation. But yeah, as much I mean, you know me, I would love to bet Guido because when Guido is like right, he's basically the, the European Luke List, like he just strikes the absolute shit out of the ball and can't make a putt. Um, but yeah, the the European starts have not given me a lot of confidence. Of course, you know he does have a baseline of being a good ball striker, so if we see something over the first couple of days. Yeah, I, I might throw a half unit on Guido, but. Uh, in terms of a pre-tournament outright, I can't I can't endorse it by any means. Uh, for me, I guess if you're going that far down the board, I like Smotherman a lot. He's a guy, um, local kid out of SMU, uh, who's kind of been flashing a little bit over the last uh, few weeks. And another guy that came off the Corn Ferry Tour and has kind of made an immediate impact this week or this year. Um, he's a guy that finished um, T4 at the Corn Ferry event here last year. They actually ran the uh, San Antonio Championship on the Corn Ferry Tour. Last year, it was actually won by Davis Riley. That's why you see Davis Riley at 50 to one, uh, alongside his runner finish at the Mounts Bar. Uh, but yeah, he's a, he has good course history here. He's a guy that has lived in Texas. He's had really really good iron success over the first kind of two weeks or two months of this uh, season. So Smotherman's a guy that I'm actually circling, kind of 150, 200, one deeper uh, over Guido for me. But certainly, um, if we see signs of life, then yeah. You'll get your wish, and we'll have Weed on the card for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that being said, we will uh, we'll close out for the week. So I guess to recap your card real quick, we have Gary Woodland, 
at 33 to 1, Jay Vegas at 50 to 1, Tony Finau at 50 to 1, Mito Pereira at 80 to 1, Rasmus Hoygaard at 110 to 1, and Robbie McIntyre 115 to 1, and that brings 11 and a half units to win 112. I'll have my card posted on Friday. You'll hear some of those leans from uh, both me, Phil, and Steve. Um, once you listen, obviously, by this point, you've already listened to that point portion of the podcast. But, yeah, you'll you'll get that card Friday or Saturday. And, uh, yeah, so with that being said, again, big thank you to at Speedway Steve 2 on Twitter. Phil and Steve, that was a blast to have you guys on. And, uh, yeah, go give them a follow if you're not. they got great stuff over there on, on their Twitter page. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time to – to hop on board before next week when we have Martinsville and the Masters podcast. So good time to, to yeah, it's a biggie. Yeah, make some money, get some, get some green for next week, some extra bullets. Exactly, find some pockets. Because that full disclosure, I have my Masters card like already done. But if we um if we hit a winner this week, whether it be NASCAR or golf, I might uh might have to splurge a little bit and overexpose myself for Augusta because because why not? So. Uh, yeah, looking forward to next week for sure, but uh, certainly some money to be made hopefully this week. And um, yeah, like I said, it was a blast to have those guys on. Hopefully you uh, you guys are, have come this far for Lair. I know anyone that uh, anyone that's made it this far, I know is a diehard. So much respect to y'all for listening. Um, yeah. yeah, let's let's hit it this week. Let's do it. And we will be posting a link to Thrive Fantasy on our Twitter bio. Again, that's the uh, promo code FHP if you want to go ahead and get signed up and get ready for next week where Ian's going to have a segment just for Thrive Fantasy. So go ahead and get signed up there. But that's going to do it for this week, guys. So we will see you guys next week. Peace out.